0: does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q-certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties, a two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty, and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit
1: any of our 13
0: locations today, or click drivehubler.com. Hubler has it all.
2: Oh, what's going on, everybody? I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook, 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. And on the top of the brain, the Masters. We'll get into that momentarily. Also, the tank standings, of course, with the Pacers. Did not go well yesterday. A lot of Colts stuff. Decent amount of Colts stuff here today where some mock drafts. There's one that pretty favorable for the Colts in terms of not trading up. Also, a column from Yahoo that is just calling out the Colts defense. <laughs> which I find to be peculiar, but we'll get to all that stuff. How's everything going, Jimmy Cook? Everything good? You uh, make a ton of dough? I thought you might be retiring after making a (laughs) sizable profit off a day one of the Masters, no?
3: (laughs) No, I was playing the long game at Augusta, so not not a ton of retirement funds added yesterday, but still enjoyed what we saw uh, throughout the first 18 holes. Obviously getting into it now today, and then like you, just scouring through what the latest uh, nuggets were in my in mock draft land for the
2: Indianapolis Colts. It never gets old. I don't think, especially when there's something brand new and I'm like, wow, I hadn't considered that one. <laughs> I'll be surprised if that happens, but we'll see. But the news right now, Brooks Kepka, I call him the slacker from one of his comments earlier, uh, where he mentioned that he doesn't practice before non-majors. Uh, this was his earlier comment a while ago. I just practice before the majors. Regular tournaments I don't practice. When have you seen me on TV, that's
4: when I play golf. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: I hate that so much, Jimmy Cook. <laughs> so Brooks the slacker Kepka. He is leading and he's playing great right now. He's minus eleven for the tournament. He's minus four on the day here in the second round, and he's got a four-stroke lead. Vic Hovland and John Rahm, they have yet to tee off. Uh Vic later this hour. Rom next hour. So a long way to go here, but Brooks Kapka, finally healthy. That's the thing. He slipped and fell uh, about almost two years ago and jacked up his knee. So he had knee surgery. His kneecap was all messed up. And now he's finally starting to get healthy, and that's what he talked about. He's like, it's not actually a different mindset or anything. I haven't rediscovered anything. He's just... I'm healthy right now. So he looks like a new golfer. Amazing what health can do for your golf game there, Jimmy.
3: Maybe we're looking at Brooks the wrong way. Maybe it's actually a story of inspiration, Brian. And hang with me for a second. Here's why. Uh It's now the faith to the everyman. Because Brooks Kepska, if he goes on, I understand he's doing the practice here with the Masters. But if he goes on to make a statement like that, like, yeah, I'm not practicing a ton, unless it's a major and then he goes and wins the whole thing. Maybe that is the inspiration for the entire sea of golfers. You see the first week or two after the masters that are out there. Like I I, I could do this. I could, I could set a personal best on the course I'm playing at Maybe it's an inspirational story. Maybe we're misreading this. Uh,
2: you know, you could go with that. That's fine. <laughs> Some people might go along with it too. I wouldn't, but you know, <laughs> Hey, whatever this was in March of 2021. That's when he jacked up his knee. So yep. he slipped at home in Florida, dislocated his right kneecap. He said he tried to pop the kneecap back into place and shattered it. We're off to a squeamish start already on this show today. I didn't know about this. So he tore his medial patellofemoral ligament, otherwise known as the MPFL. I, I didn't even know he had that, but it attaches the kneecap to the femur. He messed that up. And the doc said it's about a year and a half in terms of his recovery. So his window right now of good health is about on track with what doc originally said.
3: Look, anytime that a golfer of his caliber, all things considered is healthy. It makes for a more exciting watch regardless if it's the masters, if it's the open or, or if it's just a, a normal weekend event in golf on the tour, that's not related to one of the majors. Um, Aside from that though, I- at least when reading what he went through and reading, like you mentioned, the very descriptive, oh yeah, my leg mm, yeah. was sideways and then yeah, foot was turned out okay. That's <laughs> so a lot. It's a lot, Brooks. I uh, I don't know that I would have had the mental fortitude to snap it back in, but I guess what again this is a real quote. When the cap already shattered, went in pretty good. It was easier. The whole process was, was simpler for him. So yeah, a lot of uh, honesty and transparency, maybe too much so from uh, Brooks Kapska regarding the uh, details of the injury that he went through.
2: Yeah, it's uh, mm, kind of a weird thing here with the, it starts off like this quote that you pointed out, it starts off sounding awful. And then in the end, it's like, but it was kind of good. This is what Brooks <laughs> yeah. kept said of his knee injury. My leg was sideways yep. and out. <laughs> that sounds awful. My foot was turned out. And when I snapped it back in because the kneecap had already shattered, <laughs> it went in pretty good. <laughs> it went in a lot easier. That was March of 2021. Different day and age right now. April 2023, and Brooks Kepka has a healthy lead. I don't know about you, Jimmy, but I love a story with some controversy. And we've got some controversy here. We have caddy gate, if you will. <laughs> so Brooks the Slacker Kepka, his caddy, he goes by the name of Ricky Elliott. And Sage Steele, IU grad, shout out. She was on ESPN yesterday. Listen to Sage Steele just lay out what the story is with brooks kepka's caddy and what he might have done improperly during round one yesterday here it is
5: Kepka's walking up in his caddy yeah. rookie elliott I see him there mouthing the word five as in five iron communicating with woodland's cap, caddy what? so so here's the thing there's always communication the key is here It was caught on video and the rule states that directly communicating uh, which club a player would use on any given shot is considered giving advice Mm. that is against the rules and a caddy of course is an extension of the player that is something that is not allowed i will i I will say this Uh, this is from the masters saying following the completion of brooks round the committee questioned his caddy and others in the group about this possible incident on 15 all involved were adamant that no advice was given or requested. Consequently, the committee determined that there was no breach of the rules. So that's what the Masters has ruled, and that's what we are going to go ahead with. However, the video (laughs) was the video, and it was pretty clear that there was some sort of communication.
2: Huh. So we've got Caddygate over here. This this (laughs) is just pathetic by the PGA Tour. Now, this is what's interesting, too, is... Given the pass to the live guy, huh? This would be maybe, maybe that's what's going on here where they're like, let's not just turn this into a full blown controversy, but it's obvious that Brooks Kepka's caddy, Ricky Elliott, says to Woodland either directly or to Woodland's caddy. I'm not sure, but he's like, five, five, meaning he just hit a five iron and you might want to do the same, Woodland, or what, whatever he was communicating. He was absolutely talking about which club was used. And they talked it over after the round. I don't know what story Brooks Kepka and Ricky Elliott came up with. Or it's like, no, no, I was saying five-hour energy. That, that's why Brooks is <laughs> off to a great start. I don't know. Five minutes alone. Great Pantera song right there. Maybe they were just talking metal on the golf course during round one. This is obvious they were communicating, which is against the rules. But the tour just looks the other way on this one why is golf got to get in its own way all the time like mm. like I, look i'm not
3: i'm not saying that my frustration is necessarily with uh, the the pga tour as much as it is just the ultimate reactionary aspect to this like two caddies are talking to one another i look i won't pretend to be a master degree holder of The rules on tour of what can and cannot be done, for instance, like I didn't know that caddies couldn't converse with one another or couldn't discuss like, you know, what was going on within the round because I don't know. I mean, they're in the same group. Like, I guess, is it a competitive advantage? Is it like like, what's the determination there? And even if it is now that it's turned into this big deal, it makes golf look worse because like, oh, no, nothing was said. They, They told us nothing was said but there's video that shows they said something. <laughs> what are we doing? Like, wh- what is, what really happened there? You're trying to gaslight us and say, ah, no, they told us, they told us they didn't say anything.
2: Well, here's the thing. I'm going to disagree with you on this one, Jimmy, because there are times that golf does get in its own way. Sure. Kind of like NCAA rules. Some of this is just so small and the minutiae's is ridiculous and you got to stick with the big picture stuff. But I think this communicating With another golfer, let's just say your boys, your buddies, you're in this grouping here, and let's just say it's uh, whatever round it is, especially the final round of a a big tournament like the Masters, and you say to your buddy, hey, I just used a 5-iron. You might want to do the same. Worked out for me. Like, all these other golfers competing against your boy... Like, that hurts them. That hurts their chances to win a tournament. They would like some inside information. They would like additional info that might help them out as well. So I can absolutely see why that's against the rules. So if you have this guy caught on video saying five, five, meaning five iron, how are you just looking the other way if that's in your rule book? That doesn't make any sense to me at all.
3: I mean, I guess that's my, my larger issue with why it's turning into another area where golf's getting its own way, because if you have the rule present, then, then enforce it and don't yeah. lie to everybody. And uh, I guess my, as you explain that to me a little bit more, I guess I could get a beef that would be had by other players within the round or within that day's uh, whole play per se. But yeah. the larger issue for me is if it is a rule that enforce it the right way. And if you're not going to enforce the right way, have a better excuse than now they told us they didn't say anything. People yeah. can lip read. You can see what's said there. Like, you can't hide that. <laughs> and then it turns into this big deal. And then people that aren't golf fans are like, see, that's the problem with that sport. They don't even know their own rules. Like that's, that's what happens.
2: It is weird. I'm trying to come up with an equivalent, and I don't know that there is one, at least one that I can come up with off the top of my head. Because, listen, let's take football, for instance. The NFL, they have rules galore. And every now and then, there's a rule that isn't enforced. Now, what would this rule be the equivalent of? I'm not sure. That That's kind of a a tough judgment call right there. But there are times where the officials in the NFL just quote-unquote let them play. You know, a defensive back might get a little handsy with the wide receiver and they let it go. Or they can be super ticky-tack like Super Bowl 57 and gift the Super Bowl to your Chiefs. You know, they could do that. But you know what I'm saying? though? I know that was a cheap shot. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? Sometimes they allow you to play a little bit more and let you get away with more. I don't think that's what this is in golf. I think that's a major deal. That's inside information. That's information that can help Woodland get a stroke up on all the competition. And if that's your guy and you're helping him out, that goes against the rules. There should be a penalty. So I don't like that there wasn't a penalty, but I wonder what the thought process was that went into that if they're thinking, hey, man, it's going to look like we're hating on the live golfer, Brooks, the slacker, Kepka. Like, let's just let it go and this will blow over. That that might have been the way they looked at it. I don't know. If it was the two caddies, though, why not just toss the two caddies?
3: Like, like I, 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 again, I have no idea how easy it is to find a replacement caddy. Like, that's a fair uh, solution I would need to have to <laughs> poise that argument. But if it's just the two <laughs> caddies talking, who is to say that Kep was like, yeah, hey, yeah, go in. Maybe
2: the caddies were buddies, you know? Like. Well, here's the thing. I think that, remember when, uh, before the MLB season started, that, uh, JT Real Muto, the catcher of the yes. Phillies, got tossed yes. by that one umpire? We need umpires in golf to just give the heave to caddies that are relaying information (laughs) against the rules. What do you think about that, Jim?
3: As long as that's their only job, that's fine. I I have enough frustration with umpires as it is. I'd rather not have them invade another sport that I sometimes enjoy, (laughs) but sure, yeah. If it's it's just a... uh, umpire that is playing beefed up security guard for that day just for caddies alone i'm, I'm down with it that's fine
2: how about this because we got a hodgepodge of storylines that came from day one and also day two uh we hit on brooks kapka what do you think the story of day one was you could have tiger struggling right a, a two over a couple of bogeys in the the day you could have old Vic hovland in his crazy flower shirt uh getting a share of the lead how about john Rom? A four-putt double bogey on the opening hole, and he rallies seven birdies and an eagle to share the lead after day one. That's got to be a good one. I'll give you another one. How about this? Sam Bennett, the amateur, so he had a four under 68 yesterday, didn't record a single bogey, and also this. He's got a tattoo on his wrist, which reads, don't wait to do something. He told the Golf Channel it was the last thing his late father wrote. Wow. So he's got a a tattoo of that on his wrist. But the amateur, he did something that hasn't been done in the last 30 years, is record a four under 68 the first round of the Masters. So Sam Bennett, the amateur, easy to root for as well.
3: Yeah, also – uh, first top 10 finish by an amateur since Ryan Moore in 2005. That was a great story uh, for me. My, my favorite, or at least the most intriguing one for me is when John Rahm's round started and he goes, I think it was two over through like the first two or three holes. And then he's able to rally the way he did where he's at one point in a share of the lead. Uh, now, obviously he's tied for second. Uh, he's yet the tee off today. Kepka's obviously surged ahead because he's actively playing right now, but That's one of those situations where you can learn a lot about not just the golfer's overall game, but about the mental faculties of these athletes because it would have been very easy when you have a frustrating start at a major, particularly one as prestigious as legendary as Augusta, to let it affect the rest of your day. John Robb did the exact opposite. I think he plays nine under the rest of the way and finishes at seven under par to be with the leaders by the end of the round. So that was my favorite one. Another one, obviously, I was watching was Tiger. Looked like towards the end of the show that he was going to, be mainly scar-free, potentially just plus one, and then ends up bogeying 18, so plus two for him. Uh, he mentioned he was sore in constant pain. None of that is great. Some of that is expected. Hopefully, again, I hate to lower the bar, but I'm going to do it just for my fandom. Uh, we're just hoping for a made cut right now and, and see what the rest of the weekend holds.
2: Yeah, he's in jeopardy. He's in jeopardy right now because he's plus two, and so we're thinking the cut line maybe one over... Somewhere three over, so he's, he's right in the middle of yep. one over and three over. So I, I don't know. I don't know that Tiger's going to make it. Another birdie by Brooks Kepka. so he is now at minus twelve. He actually had a makeable eagle putt, little short, but still settled for birdie. He's got three birdies and an eagle on the day, so he's crushing it right now. Absolutely crushing it. All right, we'll circle back to golf throughout the show today. What's Vic Hovland going to do for an encore? <laughs> With the flower shirt, was that an azalea? I don't know what shirt, what what flower was featured on his shirt. It Was very colorful, very co- colorful shirt over there by him.
3: I'm all about the style at the Masters. I, I view it as, I guess, I'm, maybe I'm less traditional than most. I I want people to be. Just as as crazy as they can at times the outfits, but I also like the traditional aspects as well. The red on tie, the red on Sunday for Tiger when it's appropriate. Uh, some people have the, their classic go to like a little bit of a of a blue or, or, or a pink top. Like it, mm-hmm. it's love in general. The flowing colors. It's the introduction to spring for a lot of people. Brian, I, I like to see it pop amongst the background of the azaleas at Augusta.
2: By the way, Brian, though, and Jimmy Cook with you here 93.5 and one zero seven five. The fan. What is your go to flower of choice to buy? From- for your loved ones there, Jimmy, what do you go with?
3: Uh, usually I'm just a stereotypical answer. Usually I go roses, but if there's a nice, like uh, a beautiful assortment of uh, uh-huh. just like your, your your pink or your just like a nice colorful assortment for the springtime, I'll go that route. Uh, sometimes they have different uh, flower mixtures that, feature the season, so if we're in kind of fall I'll go that route. Just depends. I like I like the, the color of the season to match the flowers I'm getting.
2: Okay, so it's more so the display yeah, than yeah, the yeah. flower. Yeah than
3: specific flowers. But if something I'm going to go to flower roses.
2: Yeah. Roses. You? You, but catching the eye. You know, my mom likes carnations. That's her go to so I normally get that. My girl likes lilies. That's uh that's her go to. But I'm a little bit like you. If you got something that catches my eye, chances are I might not know what flower it actually <laughs> right. is. But it looks cool, yeah. so I just kind of, let's just roll with that, you know? Yep. The funny thing is, I, I could, you, literally, I could go outside and dig up the first flower that I see and put it in a vase, and it, it'd look all horrid and nasty, and, like, there's dirt and grime, and I'd be like, here, Mom, Happy Mother's Day. And she'd be like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's so nice of you, right? Like, yeah. it's just, uh, yeah, she's she's easy to please. So that's that's very nice. Shout out to my mom, who's the best ever. Okay, we got to get to the tank standings over here, Jimmy. Not a good day in the association for the Indiana Pacers. Last night did not go their way. The Orlando Magic resting Paulo Bancaro and every other freaking starter over there as they get blown out, they get worked by the Cleveland Cavaliers. Also, San Antonio, they almost... They almost screwed it up against Ugh. Portland, which we were hoping for. We were hoping for a Blazers win, so they fall in the tank standings. But no, 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 Dikembe style, sp- the Spurs came roaring back in the fourth quarter. They're down, what, 117-110, to 110, and here come the Spurs, and they end up beating the Blazers. Not good for our Pacers here.
3: No, you can only do so much. We can only will the losses across the league within our power, and... We flirted a little bit. It was a bit of a tease. Thought we were going to make some ground up. Not the case last night and, and running out of time to do so, unfortunately.
2: You know, I will say this, man. It is just embarrassing how many teams are just like blatantly tanking. You know what I mean? And the embarrassing part is one that the NBA doesn't have anything in place to curtail it. Nothing. Like they do have the draft lottery, but I mean, an additional layer to it. Of you don't remember in the NFL where Roger Goodell he came out and he's talking about teams resting some of their players who aren't in the playoffs. And he's threatening them. He's like, we're going to fine you. We're going to take away draft picks. Like, don't even think about it. Yep. And in the NBA, you have just blatant tanking. Orlando rests everybody. You've got the Pacers resting their top guys. You see it around the league right now. And there's nothing. Just a collective shoulder shrug and, eh, you know, whatever. And on top of that, you've got to give these BS reasons why your players are <laughs> supposedly out. It's a total
3: joke. So... On the neutral big picture NBA concept, I agree with you. I'm right there with you. It's a joke. There should be more done. Why is the league not stepping in to kind of, you know, write this in some way? Maybe have a little bit more of a strong arm like the NFL has done in these situations. From an individual fan perspective, whether I'm rooting for the Pacers, whether I'm rooting for the Magic, regardless of who I'm rooting for in this tank off that we've had ongoing for the better part of the last, at minimum, last week and a half, two weeks, mm-hmm. do it. Keep doing what you're doing. Sit everybody. Say they have a, well, an illness Say, like you've been doing because I, I don't want to see a meaningless win. And and it, it, okay. it, it stinks from a product standpoint. But at this point, as a fan, if I'm an individual team guy, I don't care about the league's product. I care about my team getting as many ping pong balls as they can
2: to try to get a generational talent. Here's the deal, Jimmy. I think of this as parents and kids. Okay. (laughs) really, I do. I look at teams as the kids. You know, if the parents aren't saying, hey, you can't have ice cream at 10 o'clock at night and the kids are just making the decision to have ice cream at 10 o'clock at night. I look at the parents more. Right. So if there aren't rules in place to punish you for blatant tanking, right, there are not rules in place to punish you. I look at the parents, which is the league for not having rules in place, right? I think of this like the hack shack, right? If you look at the hack shack, I'm not blaming the teams for saying, Hey, we can just foul the worst sure. free throw shooter off the ball and it's all good. Well, then why wouldn't we do that? I blame the league for not having a rule in place to punish you from and to prevent you from doing that. So that's how I look at tanking is yeah, the teams, they should be taking advantage of the lack of rules by trying to lose more games because you've got a great, great top pick in Wembinyama that could change the course of your entire franchise. So I absolutely understand why teams would do that. This is more a league issue sure. where I look at the league and say – Hey, if you don't want to turn it into a horrible product, watching bad free throw shooters, brick free throws, maybe have a rule discouraging the hack shack during games. And they finally wised up a bit and did that. I look at it the same way with tanking. If you don't want to have all of the top players, teams resting all their starters, trying to lose outright, then maybe have something in place to discourage that. If they don't, I look at that being way more on the league than on the teams.
3: When... They've done as much as they can outside of really laying the hammer down of taking away draft picks, suspensions, fines. Like they've yet to dabble into those waters. I had thought, and Brian, correct me if I'm wrong on this, I had thought the goal post 2019, well, I guess post 2019 draft, but they approved the changes in 2017, as I'm reviewing it here, was to shrink the way the odds are dispersed to discourage. Outright tanking as much as it is, and that that worked for a minute. Yeah. But once you get into these final two weeks of the season, where you get a really clear understanding for where you are and what you need to do to get into the top four line, where everybody's odds are even at number one. At that point, the only thing the league can do now is put in suspensions, is put in fines, yeah, is take away draft picks, and. I mean, yes, I'd like to see more from the league in that regard. I'm a little disappointed, though, that the idea of switching the odds and making it a little bit less incentivized to tank hasn't had the desired outcome I think the league thought they would get.
2: It sure hasn't. It has not because the three teams with the worst records, they each have a 14% chance to get the number one overall pick. Okay?
3: It used to be it's 25% like, for the top seed and 19 for second.
2: Yeah, so it's been dispersed differently. That's just the bottom three records. Think about where Indiana is or the Wizards or the Magic who rested everybody last night sure. or the Blazers sure. who sat down Shaden Sharp, one of the only good players that they have playing right now. You know, with everybody else being shut down like that doesn't do anything for those teams. Yeah. So like, it only did so much good. You just have to have a heavier hand if you really want to discourage this. And Adam Silver is freaking spineless. Just another chapter in the book of spineless activity from from uh, Adam Silver. It's, it's a joke. But how about this, too? Turning away from Silver to tonight's action. So the Washington Wizards, who have the same record as the Pacers, they host the Miami Heat. That is bad. <laughs> that is a bad situation for the Pacers because – Miami needs to win. They're yeah. currently in the play-in. They're a 7 seed as we speak. They're in 7th place. So they want to get past Brooklyn and get up to that 6th spot so they avoid the play-in. Washington crazily has rested pretty much anybody who's a big name and they just have mostly their backups going. So I think Miami is probably going to work um uh, is probably going to work Washington tonight. Miami, by the way, Jimmy, maybe sneak peek with your picks at the end. Miami only a six and a half point favorite on the Mm. road against the Wizards who want to lose. The Wizards want to lose, and Miami really, really needs to win. And Miami is way more talented roster-wise tonight based on who they're facing against the Wizards. This could easily be a boat race. And then you flip
3: the other side of the coin, and you have Pacers Pistons tonight. Of course, you can catch it all here. Pre game coverage starting at 6.30 Look at you.
2: Very nice. Right here on
3: 93.5, 107.5. The fan, Mark Boyle, Pat Boylan, Eddie Gill should be a, a, a fun. If you don't shout out always. Eddie
1: Garrison. I, Eddie he, Garrison behind the ones and twos of that okay, as he right. is right here. And you cannot forget about Edward Waterblock. And either.
3: you cannot forget about the world's greatest post game show, Eddie White dominating the airways, taking you through all the aftermath of both Pacers Pistons as well as the NBA landscape. But yeah, I mean, it is. It, it's going to be a situation where if you are team tank. If you are wanting the Pacers to continue to lose as many games as possible, they are almost up against a wall in these final two games where there's only so much that they can do in their own boathouse that will actually impact their standings. Like Washington should lose tonight by all accounts. I know it's a crazy league. Miami should boat race them. They still have something to play for, like you mentioned. And with the Pacers, you're against a pissing team that, again, doesn't really have any incentive whatsoever. I guess they have wiggle room. In a sense, because they like have locked up the number one spot. But yeah, your, your, your chances are dwindling if you are a part of Team Ping and wanting to see any type <laughs> of growth here. They really are.
2: Yeah, because the Pacers are in eighth place right now of, of the tank standings. They're looking up at Washington. Same record, but looking up at Washington. Like I said, they host Miami tonight. Miami needs to win. Bad scenario for the Pacers. You want Washington to win. Most likely that's not going to happen. And then also, in sixth place, you've got Orlando. So think about this, Jimmy. Orlando, on the second night of a back-to-back, just got crushed last night, rested all their starters. They're at Brooklyn tonight. Brooklyn is in sixth place. The Nets need to win. So this is a horrible scenario for the Pacers (laughs) tonight. It doesn't look like they're going to make up any ground. But we'll circle back to that. Coming up next, I want to turn our attention to the Colts. Interesting column I read. They're ranking divisions by their competitiveness. I want to focus in on what Yahoo specifically wrote about the Colts and their defense this might uh this might uh spur some verbal uh, hostility uh, verbal fisticuffs if you will Jimmy <laughs> that's on the way I'm Brian no he's Jimmy cook it's ninety three five and one oh seven five the fan I'm Brian No he's Jimmy Cook here on the fan you know a little bit later Jimmy I want to focus in on your talent here you know. <laughs> Because I just thought about uh, the Nugget, talking about Jeremy Lamb from yesterday's show. Where, uh, who are we talking to that covers the uh, the Pacers yesterday? Tony East. Tony East did a great job. He was awesome yesterday, but he said that former pacer Jeremy Lamb, really, really good at darts, you know? So I want to find out what you are really talented at here. Let's focus on the Colts first, though. So um, I saw this article right before the show. And I wanted to bring it up because it caught my attention. It's on Yahoo Sports. It's from Tyler Greenwald, And he just wrote, ranking NFL divisions by their competitiveness before the 2023 draft. Okay? So I'll do a little bit of reading so we all are on the same page here. And I like how he uh, he wrote a couple of these things. He wrote, The only sure-wire, surefire way to make the NFL playoffs is to win the division. As such, it behooves teams to shoot for the top of their division rather than pray for a wild card spot. I do like the usage of behooves. You praised that yesterday as well to Tony. Yep, yep. It's underutilized. (laughs) He writes, uh, Tyler writes, 18 of the past 23 Super Bowl winners also won their division. How about that, Jimmy? 18 of the last 23 won their division. So we see the importance right there. Tyler goes on to write, as the NFL calendar careens toward the draft, what do you think about that? Team Behooves or Team Kareens? Behooves. Behooves, I would agree. Kareens, not bad, though. Not bad. I think it's untapped real estate, Kareens. <laughs> so as the NFL calendar Kareens toward the draft, we took a look at each of the eight divisions and ranked them from least to most competitive based on a composite score. To calculate this, Tyler Greenwald of Yahoo Sports writes, we looked at each team's odds to win their respective divisions from BetMGM as well as the projected win totals. Then we built six determining data points. That would get a little bit geeky here, Jimmy, but this is how they came up with this list. The odds difference between the shortest odds and each of the other three teams, respectively, the win total difference between the teams with the highest total and each of the other three teams, respectively, the average odds to win the division. Okay, so they're looking at betting odds, basically. And they're looking at one team versus the other three teams in its division. And we're trying to come up with the pecking order for which divisions are the most competitive, which are the least, okay? Yeah. Pretty easy to tell. Now, before we get into it, one last thing that he wrote, and I love this. From where we were able to... Let's see from where we were able to determine which divisions are truly up for grabs and which appear to be locked up months before the season begins. (laughs) (laughs) And then the next slide. This is all subject to change, of course, depending on how the rest of the spring and summer go leading into week one. So from all this analysis, we were able to. Determine which divisions appear to be locked up months before the season begins. But this, of course, is all subject to change. That that makes no sense whatsoever. So not the greatest start here. So we get to number eight. He has the NFC West as the least competitive division. as the 49ers towering above the rest. Okay. In seventh place, the AFC South. He has this as one of the least competitive divisions in the NFL, Jimmy. This, I'll read it word for word. Floor is yours. Uh, This is no. There is no other division. Sorry, there is no other team in the division who could or should compete with the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're minus one hundred and fifty to win the division. So that means you would have to risk one hundred and fifty dollars to win one hundred dollars. So they're a healthy favorite. He goes on to write: Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback in the division, and the Jags added receiver Calvin Ridley to his pass catching options. The Tennessee Titans are projected to be the second best team at plus 325 to win the AFC South, but fell flat in the back half of the 2022 season and lost more talent than they gained this offseason. The Houston Texans and Indianapolis Colts, meanwhile, both have bad defenses and will start either a rookie or mediocre quarterback under center. Do the Colts have a mediocre defense? Oh, sorry, they have a bad defense, bad the Colts did not have a bad defense last season. I know they lost some parts with Gilmore and O'Karake. I know it's not the same defense, but getting Shaq Leonard back for way more games than he played last season, is a big deal. You can't have the Colts as a bad defense. It's just factually
3: incorrect. So here's what I think happened. lot to dissect there. First, I don't disagree with the South's placement. And I do think with the caveats that they put in place, as it stands right now on April 7th, 2023, the Jaguars are the favorite and the only team that should likely compete in the AFC South this year. Not yeah. going to dispute that. Not, not going to yeah. dispute that right now in my I'll mind. I'll push I'll push back. Then but you, keep know you, going. But you keep going. To your point, though, I feel like because the AFC South as a whole is so uninteresting that they ran out of... like They had to mention every team so they ran out of things to point to. You could have left it at, and they're going to have a, either a rookie or mediocre quarterback under center and left the defense out there. The bad defense part I'll push back on. There's still question marks around this defense. There's a lot of voids to fill, particularly at the cornerback slot without Stephon Gilmore. Making that trade, obviously, with the Dallas Cowboys. And as you mentioned, already losing Okereke. I need to see a full, healthy season from Shaq Leonard. But again, you're, you're hoping that that is the case this season. Unlike last year, where it was still another up and down campaign where you didn't see much, if at all, of him. Bad defense is too strong for me, though. I think that's just we didn't do much research on the Colts. We need to throw something in there. So, yeah, we'll add bad defense in there, lump them in with the Texans and be on our way.
2: Yeah. um, Listen, if we look at the Titans, let's not forget that the Jags and Titans met in week 18, and that was basically a de facto playoff game. It was whoever won that game was going to win the division and go to the playoffs It literally came down to the final game of the season between the Jags and Titans. So we can't overreact and say, oh, yeah, it's clearly Jacksonville. Yeah, they're the favorites. But to make it sound like these other three teams, borderline have zero chance whatsoever. That is just crazy to me. We see weird stuff happen all the time in the NFL. Where you're like, that team came from there? We see worse to first happen routinely in the NFL. So, yeah, the Jags were the class of the AFC South last season, but it wasn't by leaps and bounds. It came down to a close win at home against Joshua Dobbs as the starting quarterback of the Titans, who had barely been there for a couple of weeks. Sure. And now they're just the class of the division. I think that just goes way too far.
3: So again, and you can push back against this as you know as you should if you disagree with me on it. The way I see it is as such. This is year number three now for Trevor Lawrence. I believe after the massive leap last year and with a competent coaching staff around him, Mm -hmm. a la Doug Peterson, who, by the way, even though he doesn't have every single accolade you could have, he does have a Super Bowl under his credit, is one of the best minds in the sport right now. I, I don't argue that at all with Doug Peterson. He is an excellent creator, particularly on the offensive end. They had Calvin Ridley after a year's suspension with the gambling issue. I mean don't don't worry they acquire him via a trade with Atlanta. You still have Christian Kirk there. You still have Zay Jones as a weapon as well. That combined with Peterson and looking at the rest of the offense around the AFC South I'm willing to not disagree with your point that worst mm-hmm. to first happens. It does. Happens almost every year. Don't
2: think it happens in the South this year. Well, you might be right about that because you're talking about the Texans going from worst to first. That's, mm, with a rookie quarterback, presumably, that, That's that's a tall order right there. But here's the other part of this is, if you look at the Titans, yeah, they lost their final seven games. But a lot of that, I know we don't have... Air Tannehill, as I call him. We don't have Ryan Tannehill rated as one of the top quarterbacks. He's a lot better than Malik Willis and also Joshua Dobbs. Like, he's just been there for a lot longer. He's done a lot more in the NFL. That's just not a debate. So not having Ryan Tannehill in there, that that's a big deal. I know he's not a household name and all that, but it's still a big deal. And it does remind me, it's not the same exact thing, Jimmy, but a little bit like it reminds me of the Ravens. So two years ago, they started off hot. They were eight and three. They lost Lamar Jackson. They lost out. They were eight and nine. And then you fast forward to this season, Baltimore was right back in it. They started out hot. About the same record. They were seven and three to start the season. So if you look at the Titans, getting healthier, maybe having De- Derrick Henry more throughout the season. Having Ryan Tannehill. The Titans can absolutely compete with the Jags to win the division. I think it's a little bit too. You tell me if this is ridiculous or not. I don't think it is, but you might. Listeners might. I look at, remember the college basketball game when IU was at Northwestern during the season? Yep. And the first half on the road, they were just awful. Yep. And then they came on like gangbusters at the end and barely lost. If you flip-flop the Titans' season. Let's just say they had this sucky start to the season, like IU in the first half at Northwestern, sure. and then came on down the stretch. They're winning games and they, they just barely fall short of the playoffs. I think it's a completely different vibe with the Titans this season. So I, I would like, I would just caution people don't let the order of the strong first half, the bad second half, throw you off. It's a brand new year. And at the end of the day, like, This, this team still has some talent, so I wouldn't let the order of the season completely lead you to believe that the way they left off in a bad way, that's the only way it's going to continue going forward. That's not necessarily the case in the NFL. And,
3: and that's a fair point. I guess my larger issue, and I'm I'm willing to be transparent and honest about this, I often do have quarterback and offensive blinders on, and I look at the type of leap that you're going to need from Traylon Burks. It was a lot to ask of him as a rookie to try to replace A.J. Brown right out of the gate. That's not even Taking into account your other point, which is Ryan Tannehill's absence uh, at times throughout the back half of that season and not having him at all down the stretch and needing to rely on on Malik Willis and um, uh, who, who was it that they Joshua signed up free, Dobbs, Joshua Dobbs. Yeah. So yeah, again, that's not fully fair to the other weapons on offense accompanied with the Derrick Henry injuries. But I look at just the overall rumors and vibes around the Titans right now. The, the early rumors to start the offseason that maybe they were shopping around Derrick Henry and looking Mm -hmm. today at the lack of offensive weapons around Ryan Tannehill, I don't see much improvement from your ceiling that you've seen from them, which is at its height, when there was no other real pushback against them, it's a number one seed in the AFC. Now you have another heavyweight, or at least rising heavyweight, in the Jaguars. I I would feel comfortable with their ranking of betting the minus 150 on Jacksonville to win the South right now. I wouldn't lose a ton of sleep at it.
2: Yeah, hey, you might, uh, I might have encouraged you to do exactly that <laughs> during, during or after the show, you know? I don't know. <laughs> I just look at, uh, I think the Titans and the Ravens, they aren't quite like the Spider-Man meme where they're both spider man or pointing at one another. Yeah, 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 at one another. Yeah. But a lot of similarities, right? We know that Lamar Jackson is better than Ryan Tannehill. We do know that. But you look at the rest of the roster, it's like physical teams, right? Big-time running games. Yeah. Um, uh, banged up quite a bit, both teams, because they play such a physical style of football. Um, look at the wide receivers to throw to. It leaves a lot to be desired collectively from those wide receiving cores. So I think they're pretty comparable. But again, both those teams, they play a style that I think limits their ceiling, lowers their ceiling, but it also like heightens their floor. <laughs> like they defense travels like playing hard nosed physical style of football. It travels well. So those teams, they're good enough to be in the thick of things, but their ceiling is, I think, limited because just the style they play, it sometimes does put a hurdle in their own way when they're so banged yeah. up at the worst time of the season. But the point is, They're not a team that you can just, like, scratch off and say, ah, no, we're probably good. They're not going to compete for the division. I think both the Ravens, if Lamar is back there, and the Titans will repeat for their respective divisions.
3: And I want to, like, flip this one other way to kind of round things out with you. When you look at, though, and this is just one ranking system, right? This is not a ranking system you and I put together. But as you look through the rest of the article and where they have those rankings, I, I have a hard time moving the South in any direction. Like, I I feel like they're not going to be the easiest clear front-running division, but when you look at the rest of the metrics in this list, I I, I like where the South is. I don't really disagree with the idea that it could very well be a one-horse race when I compare it to the rest of the divisions in front of them.
2: Well, hey, man, I hear you. The funny thing is, while we're talking about the South, that's the one division that had a team go from worst to first. Yes, it did. It just happened with Jacksonville. But it's the only
3: one, that, and I... This is this is going to be slightly disrespectful to uh, Mike Vrabel, and I, I apologize for it, but uh-huh. it, I can't get around it. It's the only team in the division that added a Super Bowl winning head coach and had a proposed franchise quarterback, like elite franchise quarterback in their midst that uh-huh. finally put together a high level season that that does not exist anywhere else in the South right now. Well, it didn't last year either.
2: Unless the Colts get willed to through eleven, correct? Yes, you and know, then they're instantly right there. Yep. That, you know, yep. that changes everything. <laughs> okay. Uh, coming up next, we circle back to Jimmy's uh, talents, a wide array. You know, oh, I don't yeah. know which one he's going to pick from right there. We'll find that out. And also a couple of interesting, uh, fun NFL facts that uh, you know, if you just read and read and read, every now and then I, I read something. I'm like, oh wow, that's kind of cool. So I'll share that with you right around the corner. I'm Brian. No, he's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and one zero seven five. The fan. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook. 935, 1075, The fan. OK, before we get to your wide array of talent here, Jimmy. <laughs> I was reading some of these NFL uh, just I, I, I love the NFL man, like no other. So I'm a junkie. I'll read columns, articles, whatever you got, I'm reading it. But I, I read this, this. This goes back to the column we were just discussing about the uh, most and least competitive divisions heading into the 2023 season. There are a couple of interesting nuggets. So in the NFC South, going to have four new starting quarterbacks. Brady's retired, probably going to have CJ Stroud over there at Carolina. So uh, I guess they consider Desmond Ritter a different starting quarterback, even though he started toward the end of the regular season for the Falcons. But whatever. The stat is all four teams will start a new quarterback in week one. That's the thing. A first for a single division since 1973. We haven't seen a full division do that. Now, we did have, uh, technically, we did have realignment in 2002 where you have these eight divisions of four teams across the NFL. We used to have five teams. What, the old AFC Central, I think, had six teams for a little while. So that goes into it. But still, got to go all the way back to 73 where you found all new starting quarterbacks in week one for a single division. That's pretty crazy to me.
3: Anytime you have a historical nugget like that, I'm all about it. Uh, The list we talked about earlier regarding which divisions would be least and most competitive. NFC, NFC South is ranked third by that metric for a lot of the same reasons that you just mentioned. Yesterday, you asked me which teams I was least interested in watching. I mentioned one of the teams in this division in the in the New Orleans Saints, but you could really point to any of them, the Falcons, the Buccaneers, and the only thing that keeps the Panthers out of my mouth is the idea of a new shiny toy quarterback for them and what that could look like, assuming it is projected right now to be CJ Stroud, but whether it's Bryce Young or whoever it is. The shiny new toy will always get my attention in the early goings of the regular season.
2: Yeah, not exactly must-see TV. No. Also, this nugget here, the NFC North, they have that as the most competitive division. The Lions, they're favored to win it. That would be the first time they won the NFC North since 1993. <laughs> I think about them. Just winning your division, it hasn't happened in 30 years for the Lions. Wow.
3: Your heart goes out to the Lions, and this is finally (laughs) a silver lining or or open window opportunity in their mind, right? They, They know the Vikings are still there with Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook, and they realize that all this noise is made about the Chicago Bears. You're expecting a massive barring lottery and lightning striking yet a third time in the last 30 years for the Packers. You're expecting a massive step back from them with Jordan Love under center, this is as good a year as any for the Lions to finally get it done.
2: By the way, taking a left turn from that, Victor Hovland is just teed off at the Masters. Very disappointing day two shirt selection here. He went from the wild flower arrangement in day one on his shirt to just one single color. I can't tell. It looks kind of like light brown to me. I'm not quite sure what color it is, but it's just <laughs> one color. He's like, hey, let's go with this as the follow up to day one. All right, all right. Very muted today for Victor Hovland. By the way, one minute left before we talk some draft stuff here. The talent of Jimmy Cook. What (laughs) is at the top of the list, non-radio-wise, because you're crushing it radio-wise. thank you. Nothing related to a microphone in front of your face. What are you talented at there, Jimmy? And I bring this up because Tony East, who covers the Pacers, he mentioned that former Pacer Jeremy Lamb is really, really good at darts. So it just got me thinking. What's the go-to talent for you, Jimmy? I,
3: I don't have darts. I don't have bowling, and I'm not saying I'm playing against like top tier of this particular talent. If I did, I'd probably get my, you know, what handed to me. But uh, relatively good mini golf player. Really, oh, really? really, really, really good at, at finding the right angles on the putting surface. Uh, not so much the rest of my golf game, but, but 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 capable of of knocking down a big putt when needed.
2: Wow! Really? Yep. Okay. Uh, Jimmy Nails Cook. There you go. When it comes to a miniature yep. golf, sure. All right. What about you? Uh, I can I can throw football. I can play a guitar. That's what I can do. Uh, that's about it as far as talent goes. Anyway. <laughs> <Eddie? Corn laughs> yeah, would... Really? Oh, okay. Yes. That's a fun one. Is it What is it? The spin? You do anything fancy that gives you a leg up on the competition?
1: Oh, I know how to strategically place bags. I know how to push bags. I can airmail. Um, wow! Okay. If I really wanted to, like, practice this, like, day in and day out, I, I, I'm, I wholeheartedly believe I could competitively play cornhole. That's awesome! Really?
2: Yeah. Are we going to see you on the deuce one of these days? <laughs> no, the
1: Ocho. You will not see me on the Ocho. <laughs> okay. All right,
2: coming up next, let's talk to a dude named Thor. Huh? He covers the NFL draft, college football analyst. Thor Nyström is on the way. We'll talk Colts and beyond. I'm Brian No, he's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. I'm Brian No, he's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. We'll get to was Eddie Garrison ripped off or is he trying to work the system a little bit later today? We'll say in about 15 minutes or so. But let's talk to a dude named Thor, huh? Thor Nystrom, NFL draft slash college football analyst. He's at Fantasy Pros. And if you didn't catch, I didn't catch it myself, but Eddie Garrison said, if you don't know, it's the Avengers theme song right there with, of course, the the name Thor. Are you an Avengers fan there, Thor? Of course. How could I not be? (laughs) I feel like I got to ask you, how much do you bench? If you're a guy named Thor, I feel like you could throw some weight around there.
6: I'd rather have the gifts that I put out on Twitter benching for me. I might not bench as much as the, as the movie character, but, yeah, we, we, we do okay. I'm I'm lucky I wasn't born, you know, 5'5", five, five with that name, for sure. Are
2: we talking, like, if we're repping out at the Combine, are we talking, like, what, 10, 12 reps of 225 right now? We'll, we'll, we'll toss up 25 of them. Wow. Oh, That's man. what I'm saying, Thor. That's it right there. Now, I want to I wanna know what specifically is the most interesting storyline for you regarding the NFL draft. So don't, don't just give me all quarterbacks in general, but is there specifically you think CJ Stroud probably going to Carolina, maybe Bryce Young goes to Houston. What specifically is it? Is it Anthony Richardson, Will Levis? Where is it for you?
6: Yeah, this is going to be a really fun draft because we we still don't know. I, like I thought, I knew that the Panthers were in on C.J. Stroud, but they, I mean they, they might just be putting out smoke screens, you know, as far mm-hmm. as some of this stuff. But some people you talk to will now swear that their guy is Bryce Young. Some will say that it's Anthony Richardson. It seems like Anthony Richardson's camp thinks that there's a decent shot that he could go number one. So it's still a three horse race with less than three weeks to go until. Day one, and then you know, however, it's going to be quarterback, quarterback, presumably. Then it gets really interesting with Arizona. Do they end up trading that slot to a team that's going to take a quarterback? And then obviously, Indianapolis sitting in that fourth slot is very intrigued by all the different stuff going on above them,
3: Thor. A lot of people, when they look at mock drafts, look at player comps, they, they misunderstand. The purpose of the comp, they misunderstand what the writer, or what the draft analyst is going for when when they make comps next to an unproven draft prospect. For you, what are you, what message are you trying to convey when you make those comparisons? For instance, C.J. Stroud as a, a Justin Herbert comp, Bryce Young as Russell Wilson comp in, in a piece you had on Fantasy Pros earlier this week. What are you trying to illustrate with the comps?
6: You're just trying to put the, the closest picture that you can in for the reader in their head as far as, as who that player could be, but you, you, you bring in a whole bunch of different things with it. You bring in their, their measurables, the, the way that they test similar athletic profiles, and then the way that they play as well. And then you're also trying to sort of hit it with the, the career progression that you think the kid's going to have. Because if you you know if it's a guy that you think is going to be UDFA, but he sort of plays like a poor man's version of a, a guy who's you know been in, in multiple Pro Bowls or whatever, you can't really do that as the comp because it's misleading. So you, you try to bake all those different things in and a lot of moving parts. But yeah, it's it's one of my favorite things because before I did this work, I love comps just as a fan, and so I, I love putting out a whole bunch of put out 500 on my 500 player big board. It's coming out in a couple weeks on Fantasy Pros.
2: He's Thor Nystrom from Fantasy Pros joining us here on The Fan. Thor, what's the most outlandish pick that you've seen in a mock draft where your reaction is that clearly is not going to be happening here?
6: Uh, Hennon Hooker in the first round. I, I would still be surprised if it did, and it's coming right to my doorstep here in Minneapolis because people have been mocking Hendon Hooker to the Vikings. I wouldn't understand that one at all. Uh, to me, Hennon Hooker is more of a round three guy. You know, he's he's going to be 26 during his rookie year. We don't even know if he's going to play during his rookie season because of the ACL thing. And then there's reasons to be concerned about his on-field profile. They, he didn't succeed as a passer until, you know, starting his second to last season when he had to come in off the bench for Joe Milton, the kid who, he had lost the, 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 jo- the job to coming out of camp. That and he, Hendon Hooker, had come from Virginia Tech where he had never uh, th- shown the throwing element, but he finally started to succeed. You know, once he, he he came in for Milton off the bench, but like it was in this this offense where it's, everything is spoon fed for you. Hendon Hooker, it's it's so interesting watching his tape when when he gets the ball. It's not just that it's the one side of the field. He will actually just immediately square his shoulders to that side of the field. The other side of the field is, is just not even available. It's not even an option. So, sometimes those Tennessee receivers weren't even running routes on that side. So it, it's a bit of a leap of faith to assume that he can then go through the full field progressions in the NFL. We have literally never seen that. So it is a total leap of faith. And then the other thing is he's a dual threat. He, he is a good runner. He can get the ball deep, but he doesn't use those things in conjunction. 155 times the last two years, he was moved off his spot. According to PFF only completed seven passes in those 155 occurrences.
3: Thor, let's say just for the sake of argument, the Colts don't take a quarterback at four. That's been our assumption is that that's what they're going to do. I'm not even talking about trading back. Let's just say they go best available. When you look at guys like Will Anderson Jr., when you look like Jalen Carter, in your analysis, are we talking about generational-type players on that side of the ball?
6: Well, yeah, in in terms of on the field, for sure. I mean, Carter, we we just don't see talents like that coming to the league every single year. That kid is unblockable when he's on. And then uh, Will Anderson's the, the other good one. But I'd put Will Anderson a solid uh, you know, half a tier down from, from Jalen Carter just in terms of overall utility. Um, you know, When you're talking about the fourth slide, those would be the only two other guys that I would even consider there. You know, th- there's obviously other attractive prospects, but those two guys would, would stand out above the rest for sure.
2: How about overrated QBs? Of the top five rated QBs, who do you think is the most overrated guy?
6: Um, well, it, it would be, it would be Levis for me, although it, it seems like now people are starting to wake up to some of these different things that, that we've been talking about since, I mean, like, you know, when he was playing or whatever like that. I love the arm, and he does have some of the athleticism in, in that sort of prototypical frame. He, he went to Penn State as their, you know, running quarterback guy, the same position that Tommy Stevens had been in but, uh, b- before him. But the, the thing is, with with his passing, it, you know, everybody knows that that he has mechanical inconsistencies. It's more like a mechanical nonchalance with him because sometimes he just doesn't set his feet or, or square his shoulders to the target, even in clean pockets. When he, when he does have that stuff going, the, the accuracy plays way up. So so you can understand why people are like, oh, just fix that and, and convince him to, to every time be mechanically sound, his arm's going to play way up. But the issue with him is he lacks pocket presence. He just doesn't – like he can't feel when that rush is coming. So he gets ragdolled in the pocket all the time. His his conversion rate of pressure to sacks, one of the highest in this class. And when he does recognize the, the pressure late, if he's not getting sacked, generally he makes a mistake with the ball and where it gets a bridge too far for me with him is how are you going to, you know, just suppose that you're going to be able to fix the mechanics when every time he's under duress, he's panicking. He, he, he forgets that stuff, even when he's in clean pockets. So, so that's why he's riskier for me. And then I, you know, I brought a pen and hooker before so those would be the two guys in the class where I'm, I'm just, you know, lower on than, than everybody else, I guess.
3: Thor Nystrom of Fantasy Pros, nice enough to make some time with us here on The Fan. Thor, conversely, the other potential option at quarterback for the Colts at four is Anthony Richardson. The main mark against him has been the accuracy issue at times. You'd like to see that maybe as many as five, six, seven and above points higher on his accuracy percentage at the next level. When you look at what you outline with Levis plus the marks against Richardson, is either one an easier fix or are they both truly Project guys, are going to take a little bit of grooming to get where their ceiling could be.
6: In, in I mean, in, in a lot of ways, they're both projects in terms of just they're not finished products yet. So, like you know, they, they need work, whatever. And then, what what do they become on the other side of that? But I would far prefer Anthony Richardson to uh, to Levis both because the ceiling is, I mean, very clearly higher. You know, you don't need to be an expert to know that. Anthony Richardson coming into the league with an unprecedented uh, size, speed, you know, the, the athleticism score for his size, whatever, had the perfect 10 on, on, on the res. But I also think he's a little bit less risky than he's been commonly depicted. Everyone talks about his accuracy percentage. What, what I prefer to look at is the on-target uh, on uh, percentage with, with those quarterbacks. His on-target percentage is is more than acceptable. His receiver stunk last year at Florida, and he was learning to hit the fourth straight offense for the fourth straight year under a fourth different offensive coordinator – Four different ones in four years. Four different quarterback coaches in four years. Three different head coaches in in four years. There's reasons to explain some of this stuff. And then he's learning the new system. And then the receivers he threw to last year, there was a lot of balls clanging off hands and stuff like that. So I think his accuracy is a a bit better than people think. Still uh, obviously needs a lot of work on that, which is just the the consistencies with his mechanics. Because he's another guy when the mechanics are on, the the accuracy plays way up. The, The other thing I'd say, difference between him and Levis is, well, Levis, uh, he panics when he's in the pocket under duress. Anthony Richardson, he he he's nonplussed about it. He, he doesn't care. Like a, a free rusher, can, there can even be two free rushers on him within just a couple strides of him. Anthony Richardson doesn't panic at all because he knows he has the athleticism to get out of any sticky situation that he's in on the field. Go back to that two-point conversion in the opener against Utah when Utah had the two free rushers on the right side, and the play concept called for Richardson to drift right into him. Utah had him dead to rights. Richardson gets away from both of them. He, he did that, that pirouette in midair with the, the pump fake to get rid of the one guy. Then he runs around the other one. Utah didn't have enough guys back. They blitzed too many guys. So then Richardson hits a wide open guy in the end zone. I love that stuff with him. Um, and the rushing utility, obviously. So I, I think that the floors, I, I, I think, you know, like I said, I think Richardson a little bit higher in terms of that than, than is commonly depicted. And the ceiling certainly is way higher than Levis.
2: How about the Colts at number 4? There's been a debate around here where they should move up to number 3. Some say you should stick with the fourth overall pick. If the board falls, and we know there are a lot of variables, but if the board falls where a combination of Stroud and Young go 1-2, we know it depends on where the Colts have Levis and Richardson rated, but what do you think in general of the argument of either moving up to 3 or staying at 4?
6: I I wouldn't make the Cardinals put me to a decision on that. Like, I I haven't heard anything to indicate that the Cardinals are close to a deal with another team. I wouldn't even consider it until that possibility is out there. So I'd make the Cardinals do the work on that end. You don't want to be in a situation like, remember the Bears that year with the 49ers where they gave the 49ers stuff so they could move up one spot to take Mitch Trubisky? It was just totally unnecessary, and it seemed like they they sort of got leverage into that, whatever. In, In this situation, I'd wait around but if, you know, like in the Colts building, I you know, I, I'm under the supposition that most of the football guys in there, that they prefer Richardson to Levis in, in that case – but, you know, it would depend on how far they are apart. But if you do have one guy that is tangibly above the other one, at the point where the Cardinals come to you and they're like, hey, we're going to take this other deal from this quarterback needy team, we just wanted to see if, if you guys would put anything out there to give us another possibility. That's when I consider it, but I certainly wouldn't be jumping head over heels to make that deal before the Cardinals have done their due diligence to bring another deal to you.
3: Thor, I know your most recent piece on Fantasy Pros. Thor Nystrom, nice enough to join us here on The Fan Went through the first two rounds of the draft with player comps and was where you thought they might end up. Another critique among the Colts, they obviously have a need to fill at cornerback, but I, I'm a more offensive-minded guy. I love fun weapons, love fun toys there for a young quarterback. When you look at second-round wide receivers and beyond, uh, where would be the, the most upside or the best value that the Colts could find as this
6: draft unfolds? As far as receiver at the yeah. cornerback position? Wide receiver, I apologize, yeah. Yeah, with receiver, where where the Colts are sitting in at the the top of round two, it's a really interesting spot as far as this receiver class goes. Because this receiver class is different than the last three four years, where it's way down. Like we we don't have, you know, we had some like unprecedented type receiver class coming like one after the other, where it's like, oh my god, you know, it's like the one class was like hold my beer to the last class. You know, it just kept getting better and better. This year, we take a step way back with that receiver class, but with, with where the Colts are sitting in round two that's the good spot to be in because assuredly one of these guys is going to filter down, whether it's one of those top four guys. Like I, I think there's a shot that Jordan Addison could get into round two, which is a possibility that no one would have considered a couple months ago, but because of the, the measurables, he, he did not test very well for a guy as skinny as he is. But if he gets out of the first round, he's not going to have to wait long in, on Friday that the Colts might be his floor. But even, you know, y- y- you look outside of that, Jalen Hyatt's going to be there. Josh Downs is going to be there. I like Marvin Mims uh different guys like that. So th- there's going to be guys that you could potentially get, even, even Cedric Tillman. Actually, it's funny. I, I comp Cedric Tillman to Michael Pittman, so maybe, maybe that one would be a little bit redundant. <laughs> but, you know, whether you take one there or whether you trade down, and the cornerback class is sort of different With the cornerback class in this one is absolutely stacked. So it's less the moving parts. You know that you're guaranteed a really good one there if you were to pick in that slot. But the receiver one, you do have a shot of one of those four guys potentially getting down there. But if not, there are a couple guys it would still be juice worth to squeeze at that pick.
2: Hey, Thor, appreciate the time, man. Before you go, we were kicking around uh, the talent or skill that you have not related to your gig. It was related to a former Pacers player who's really good at darts. So what is the talent or skill that you have on your resume not related to anything you do with fantasy pros there, Thor?
6: Oh, gosh. Um... I'm trying to think. My, my whole world is 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 this stuff. It, it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, like I don't even know what I would be if, if not for this. I guess I guess arguing with people on Twitter. Is
2: what I say. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. Well, Thor, appreciate the time, man. Uh, we're inching closer to the draft, and enjoy schooling the Twitter trolls in the meantime, huh?
6: <laughs> appreciate you, boys. Good talking to you. Thanks, Thor. Yep.
2: Thank you. There he is, Thor Nyström, NFL draft college football analyst. At Fantasy Pros. Good stuff right there. By the way, the Masters, we'll circle back to the draft in a second. The Masters, it reminds me of Indiana. Does it not? Like, yesterday was just gorgeous. The beginning of today, just gorgeous there at Augusta. And now you're starting to see the dark rain <laughs> yeah. clouds. And yep. it just give it five minutes. That's what we always hear about Indiana. That's the Masters this weekend.
3: There is just, like I stressed yesterday, a, a, lot of, a lot of happiness on my face with the Masters arriving. A lot of just excitement of of Easter Sunday at Augusta. And then you look at this year's weather forecast. I know we joked a little bit about it yesterday, but yes, it's a great player comp, but state comp instead by you. <laughs> of, uh, yeah, it's looking very much like Indiana-style weather right now out there.
2: Oh, it totally is. I can't tell you how many times friends will come visit me, and I'm like, dude, you might want to take a coat. And they look at me like I have nine heads. You know, they're just like, it's beautiful right now. I'm like, dude, just, just trust me, okay? And, and sure enough, or like, hey, you might want to bring an umbrella or like <laughs> like a hazmat suit. You know what I mean? Like sure. the weather's just crazy over here. Okay, so as far as, I, I found a few things interesting with Thor right there. One, He's a sheep. <laughs> He's anti-Levis over here. But like, here's, here's my thing. Here's my thing. Uh, yeah, you can point to Levis lacking pocket awareness, maybe panicking in the pocket. I mean, you know, the first thing I thought of, it wasn't as bad, Jimmy, as, remember, David Carr with the Houston Texans? It wasn't as bad at Kentucky as it was with D. Carr with the Texans when he was the number one overall pick. But it wasn't leaps and bounds better. And what's interesting is we looked at David Carr at Houston, and we're like, this guy has no chance, right? You got to give him some protection. He's got no offensive line. He's taking a beating. That's just the tone of what we said about David Carr. And yet somehow at Kentucky, when the walls are just crashing in on Will Levis, he lacks pocket awareness. He panics in the pocket. This freaking guy. Like, that's just the way it typically goes with Will Levis.
3: I mean, look, I'll say a couple things, right? So I have a handful of hidden talents that I'm I guess still able to work on in my free time it's pretty clear that I I lead into that to say with Thor's answer on the hidden talents it's pretty clear like a lot of draft analysts that (laughs) his entire just existence right now is geared towards this so when I come at you with a more casual approach of look the read on him right now is he holds onto the ball too long and he doesn't sense presence of uh, pressure on his either side of the ball or either side of the field rather as well. That's one thing, right? I'm just telling you what, what I've read and kind of what I've seen from the, the brief games of his that I've seen. When you hear somebody that has dove a little bit deeper into the film, have a similar evaluation, Mm. but go deeper of he has happy feet a lot of the time. It's a lot of placement issues with him. I'm, I'm willing to say maybe Brian, I don't agree with the sheep argument, but I wouldn't say sheep. I I would say leader there because that's a very informed opinion based on the film that he's seen. Whether he's right or wrong, it's still an opinion just like your Will the Thrill Levis t-shirt line is just an opinion-based slogan right there. Like it it Thor doesn't know that for a fact, but he has a little bit more I guess observational data that he's seen than I have as someone that you've painted as a sheep at times for my
2: my dislike okay. of, of Will Levis okay here's what I would say to that big freaking deal okay <laughs> there plenty of guys you can watch all the tape in the sure. world you can spend hours sure. and hours and hours and still screw up your evaluation sure. it happens all the time again I'm not saying he's
3: gospel to be clear I'm just saying a relatively informed opinion hard to say sheep with uh, the, the type of just analysis that he provided there <laughs>
2: Okay, fine. You push back on the sheep thing, whatever. I heard a Thor, Nightstrom. nice drum. Sound like everybody else about Will the Thrill Levis. It's oddly similar to Josh Allen. When he was coming out of Wyoming, we talked about this before. There was a list from the ringer heading into the 2018 NFL draft, yep. and they ranked their top quarterback yep. prospects. And a lot of these people who watched a lot of tape and broke it down, they didn't have Josh Allen in their top five. They had dudes like Kenny Trill and Kyle Lauletta ranked ahead of Josh Allen. Yeah. Some of them had Josh Allen not even ranked. They said anybody else than Josh Allen. So it could be. It the happens same all thing the time. With it, Levis. It, it, yeah. it
3: happens all the time, and I could make the same points even though. You're right. There feels like there's more public pushback with Levis than there is Richardson. But a lot of the same flaws and critiques that people point to Anthony Richardson, you could be using him in that same Josh Allen analogy by the time it's all said and done. They're both project quarterbacks. They both need different things to work on. For me, I do look at the upside of Richardson and I see all the tools that he has and think to myself, man, you know what? if the accuracy issue can be fixed, and if it was someone on the receivers there, much like Will Levis struggled with in Kentucky, maybe that's a project that does have a higher ceiling. That's See, not a Jimmy, big leap he for
1: validated me. earlier in that conversation, what I've been trying to tell you is that the accuracy issues with Anthony Richardson aren't big deal it's not a huge it's not it's not as big as people are making it out flaw that you make it sound out to be every time you bring them up because you're like oh if you can fix the accuracy issues and i I know that's the biggest knock that you want to point to but like
3: it does have to be fixed though it's not a like there's a fine line between everything is his receiver's fault and the point that that even thor brought up which is that there is room for improvement like maybe it's not maybe it's not a massive red flag as maybe i've painted it or others have painted it to be But there is a needed room for improvement, even if it is, it was all his receiver's fault.
1: And then the quarterback that you guys previously just named, Josh Allen, look at his completion percentage from rookie year to now. Like, it's gone up, what, five, six points percentage-wise?
3: And that's back to Brian's overall point, right, Brian, is that even as we're projecting this out right now, it is going to take more than one season of work to really get a read of what these either project side, whether you're Team Levis or Team Richardson, is going to pan out to be. Totally well, agree. Yeah.
2: I mean, there's a lot to it. I just love uh, all of these draft stories. He, he mentioned, Thor mentioned the Niners making that trade with the Bears. You've mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, I've mentioned it a lot, but the Bears moved up one spot to number 2 overall to get Mitch Trubisky. I would just love to hear that conversation. You know what I mean? I would just love (laughs) to have heard the 49ers' phone ringing and the Bears saying, you know, we'll give you two third-round picks and a fourth-round pick to move up one spot. You can still draft the defensive (laughs) player you were targeting anyway. And they're like, uh... Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Like, that's fine. Like, and and then all these other stories where we go back to your guy, Mahomes. Yeah. The Saints wanted Mahomes. Yep. This goes back to 2017. And you think about Drew, Drew Brees. He played through the 2020 season. So we're talking 17, 18, 19, 20. He played four more years yeah. after that draft. Think about Mahomes. If he was just sitting there like Jordan Love, maybe not for four years, but for a couple of years, Drew Brees was still playing really good football. And he was one pick away. The Chiefs moved up to number 10 to get Mahomes. Number 11, the Saints took Marshawn Lattimore, who's been a very good cornerback. But think about that. Think, where would we be right now yeah. if the Saints somehow ended up with Mahomes backing up Breeze for a couple of years?
3: There there would be no happiness in, in this uh, talk show host right here. There there, 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 there would be no uh, enjoyment of raising even one Lombardi trophy if, if Mahomes is not in Kansas City. I could say yeah. that with the utmost confidence. And, and to your point, there's been more nuggets that have come out about the drafting of Mahomes over the years. Uh, he went on uh, the New Heights podcast in December, mentioned that he had referenced the Chiefs, hey, look, like I don't know who's going to take me, but if you let me go past here, I'm probably not going to still be there. And then the pieces that came out after the draft were the secrecy that was involved. Buffalo thought they were going to take a linebacker when they traded up with them. Like it, it If you are mm-hmm. going to have a poker hand, if you're one of these teams that aren't the Colts, but are the Raiders or somebody further down that wants to trade with Arizona, you have to keep everything so close to the chest. Otherwise, it turns into a bidding war that might be too big of an asking price for you.
2: Are you serious? That's what the Bills thought?
3: Yeah, the, the, like, the, oh, the, the consensus
2: around most war rooms
3: was that the Chiefs were, were trading up to take a linebacker or oh, a def- get a defensive gosh. player. The thought was not
2: quarterback. Wow. They're moving up 17 yep. spots yep. to get a linebacker? Yep really? Yep.
3: Again, I mean, now, now look, how, how much the Bills believe that, I mean, they made the trade, yeah. but the, the, the Chiefs were not outwardly fla. yeah, we're taking a quarterback right oh, now. Oh, no, no, offense. no, yeah, but, but yeah. The, but the, the, the thought was, again, they had consistent playoff appearances, they were dominating the AFC West, they just need to throw up their defense, right? Alex Smith's been fine, why would they take a quarterback? There's always surprises like that mm-hmm. throughout the NFL draft, maybe not every time for the big, shiny quarterback, but That's the beauty of trading up and why we've joked about signing an NDA to go sit in one of these war rooms. I don't (laughs) care if it's for a quarterback or if it's for a wide receiver in round three, just what goes into that and just the, the ultimate poker hand of, yes, we got our guy.
2: I would love to hear it. I really would love, 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 love short of hearing it live with my own two ears, just do a hard-knock style of the draft, you know? Like, let these teams have final say of what's revealed, what isn't. Chances are they wouldn't want any of this stuff out there because they wouldn't want it to come back to bite them. Can you imagine a conversation between two teams? They work out a trade. It works out great for one team and the other team just gets fleeced or moves down and misses out on a stud. They wouldn't want that around. I would love to hear it, but it's probably never going to happen. I just think this too, when you're in the moment, there are plenty of picks where you say, what are they doing? Doing? Why would they do that? And then a couple of years later, you're like, oh, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> if the Saints had drafted Patrick Mahomes with Drew Brees still playing really good football, people would have been like, what are they doing yeah. right now? Nope. And it would have turned out to be brilliant.
3: And they did the same thing to Kansas City. Like, like there, there was tons of backlash nationally about the idea that they would try to get a replacement for Alex Smith with where he was at his career at that point, and that they would do it when they were again knocking on the door perceivedly, if you talk to Chiefs fans, I never felt like they were really threatening to go win a Super Bowl, maybe squeak into an AFC championship game. But yeah, there was the same backlash. Saints would have gotten the same thing, maybe even worse, like you mentioned, having a Hall of Famer and Drew Brees still under center and still with a couple of years left, even though they weren't all shiny years for Drew Brees.
2: Okay, at the end of this hour, we will get to Eddie smooth criminal Garrison (laughs) trying to work the system a little bit. But coming up next, Will Haskett. From PGA Tour Radio, there's a lot we got to discuss. Storylines galore at the Masters. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. I feel like I'm supposed to uh, speak in hushed tones right now.
3: I, uh, I asked Eddie to play this yesterday, but I'm very thankful we did it today.
2: Yeah. For our next I,
3: guest. It's very, very apropos of Wendy yeah. Garrison.
2: I feel like I'm looking at Azalea's Yeah. To 11. I feel like I'm looking at it's weird because I'm thinking of Victor Hovland's crazy flower shirt. Now, that, those are the images I get when I hear that. Now, want to welcome in Will Haskett, PGA Tour Radio. You know, what's the feeling you get, Will, when you hear the master's music?
0: The only broadcast I've ever done in my career where I felt like I actually altered my delivery to meet the sort of the mood <laughs> or the ambiance. I'm dead serious. Like when I've had the uh, the honor of broadcasting it, it was you know, hushed tones. You know, you're not supposed to get too up and too sort of down. It feels like less words per minute. I'm a fast talker by nature, but I was a little bit slower. Uh, yeah, it's. I mean – all of the things that come with it. I mean, there's a million different ways that you can go with what you think of when you hear the song. Um, you know, I think big green and gray golf. And we've seen some great golf so far through a day and a half. And maybe we get the rest of the day in, but it's, I don't think it's going to happen later on this afternoon.
2: Yeah, man, it's crazy with the weather. How about Brooks Kepka? He's leading at minus 12 right now. Would you go with Kepka as the story of the tournament thus far? or Would you go in a different direction?
0: One hundred percent. It has to be Brooks Kepko. and I think last week, you know, he won the third live event of the year in Orlando, um, and it just kind of showed that there was a little fire in him to rev things up to get ready for the week that he really cares about, and those are major championship weeks. And then, I mean, from tee to green today, I think he missed one fairway. He was his irons were on point. He left a few putts short in the back nine, but really made everything that he was supposed to make. I mean, absolute clinical right now. And because of some attrition from some guys that were behind him, I mean, it's a five-shot lead right now. And one of the guys he has a lead over is still in school at Texas A&M. So, I mean, it's <laughs> it's crazy what he's able to do. And, yeah, if in the next, I mean, there's starting to be some storms and some showers popping up around the area. Look, if, if something pops up and the guys that are just getting their rounds started right now, John Robb, Victor Hovland, who are five shots back, if they can't get that much golf in today, and they have to come back out tomorrow when it's going to be 50 and raining and a north wind in their... I mean, it's it's a massive advantage for right now because this Brooks Koepka lead at five could be even more than that. It feels like more than that if the weather forecast comes true later on this afternoon.
3: Will, if weather... Like it's projected to plagues the Masters all weekend. You have to apologize for my ignorance here. What's the worst case scenario? Obviously, there's a great drainage system uh, available uh, at Augusta National, but what's the worst case scenario of how things play out here if if rounds aren't able to be begin in on their on their scheduled time and they're having to to move and adjust things over the course of the weekend?
0: Yeah, I mean, Jimmy. Today it's supposed to be storms, right? So if there's electricity, they're not going to play. Right. It's a dangerous situation, obviously, off the golf course. The weather forecast I saw for tomorrow is more that it's just kind of going to be a cold band of rain that just kind of parked over them and, and keeps coming. So if there's embedded thunderstorms, and they don't play. But it, as long as the rain is not coming down so heavy that it's puddling on the greens and it's an unplayable situation, you know, they'll play through the the rain. Um, but if there is some electricity and this thing, you know, pushes forward and pushes out, and we don't you know, get, say, the third round done tomorrow. And that's a lot of things have to happen for that not to happen. This is a, a, a small cut. You know, you only have the low 55 in ties. So you could play 36 holes in a day. And right now, Sunday looks clear. So if they were, you know, worst-case scenario, they're only able to get 36 holes done in some combination of today and tomorrow. If the storms pop up this afternoon, I and mean, they could get lucky today. You know, I still think they could play two rounds on Sunday around the golf course and get it done on time. But, look, this is the first major of the year. It's the Masters. If they have to play on Monday, they can play on Monday. And I wish I had the note in front of me. I don't know when the last time was there was a Monday finish. At the Masters, I thought we were going to have one in 2019 when Tiger won. I remember, they went early that year to get out ahead of the storms and barely got done before it completely opened up on them. But I think you have to go back to the late 80s. The last time we had a Masters that actually got pushed into Monday.
2: 83 says Google.
0: Okay, there you go.
3: <laughs> yep, yep.
2: How, how could Google be wrong? You know, it can't be. Uh, Will Haskett from PGA Tour Radio joins us here on the Fan. You know, it's funny. Will, correct me if I'm wrong, but. We make such a huge deal out of weather with football, say the NFL, where if there's a, a pass happy team and it's going to be rainy or really windy or there's snow. like It's a huge deal. It's talked about all week long leading up to a big game. This is the biggest tournament we have. And like, like you mentioned, it's a mammoth advantage. If you have an earlier tee time today, why don't you think we talk about it? Even more than we do, the weather impact on a tournament like the Masters here. Yeah,
0: you know, I mean week in and week out, those of us that are covering it all the time I talk about it all the time. I mean, the weather is the number one differentiator in scoring. I mean, you can if it's the perfect meteorological conditions for a week leading up to the tournament, you can get golf courses that are firm and fast and super hard. But if it rains for five days. And you have greens that are boards. So, mm-hmm. I mean, Mother Nature always has an impact. And they talked this year, the big story at Augusta was the lengthening of the 13th hole. They bought properties. They could move the tee farther back into the trees at 13. Yesterday, most of the guys were still going for that green. Why? Because there was no wind, and it was 80-some-odd degrees with 100% humidity, so the ball just is a rocket in those types of conditions. Now, on the weekend, when the wind's going to switch from a different direction it's going to be 35 degrees colder, the ball's not going to go anywhere. So the conditions have a huge impact on how the golf ball reacts off the club, how it travels, so these players are paying attention to it. Uh, but I think this week it was more just we knew the weather forecast was so bad, and so I, I think it's just uh, how much golf are they going to get in, uh, is there going to be an, an advantage for guys in particular waves, and that may still prove to be true if there are storms that pop up this afternoon? But for a golf tournament like this that only had 88 guys that teed it up at the beginning of it, it's not like a typical week on the PGA Tour when you have 144 or 156 man fields, and you're literally playing from sun up to sundown, and you have significant advantages from the guys that are playing in the morning versus the afternoon. It's a little bit more of a steady. Off the first tee type of rhythm with this golf tournament, but yeah, this week I think it was just you know with an inch or two inches of rain, and really the temperatures and the wind tomorrow. I mean, it's just gonna be a bad day to be on a golf course mm-hmm. tomorrow. Like I, I would not want to play golf tomorrow, even if I was given the ticket to Augusta. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> Will Haskett, nice to take some time with us. You can follow him on Twitter at Will Haskett. Will. Guys, not named Kepka and Rom across the board at one DraftKings sportsbook or plus one thousand or better to win outright. So I'm basically asking you for for names or value where you see things playing out. Uh, I only say that because. Kepka and rom are both plus 165 plus 250 everybody else you get a pretty decent bang for your buck if you were to maybe you're not maybe you feel like hey there's no value don't waste your time but if you were to name somebody else not name kepka and rom that you'd be comfortable hitching your wagon to uh here as the second round progresses who to be
0: yeah and it's weird because there's never i never think there's any value in any golfer that you know, shorter than 10-1 to 1 most weeks, even when he goes into the weekends. And they, for some reason, I almost think Kepka has value with plus odds in front of him because of those weather conditions. Yeah. Uh, Jason Day has been playing winning-level golf in 2023, and he's made an absolute mess coming in today. He's 9-under through, 14 holes, jumped one in the water at 15, and then followed it up with a bogey at 16. So he's 606 shots back, but I still think has all of the combination of skills. And it's another one of those guys that's about to post the number. I don't know where he's hit it on 18 right now, Uh, but if he can get it in at minus six, or maybe even squeeze a birdie at 18 and stay five or six back again, this is a guy that's been on a short list a lot. So I think that there's some value in that one. And, you know, I mean, further on down the line, I mean, there's just so many good guys that are in that pack. It's the question of who you're going to pick out of it, because the leaderboard right now to the top 15 is just stacked with incredible names. So whether it's, Sam Burns, who won a couple of weeks ago at match play. Jordan Spieth just kind of had a ho-hum day today. He's just sort of lurking. But it's going to get so hard this weekend that par is going to be your friend. Creativity is going to be your friend. So if Kepka were to stumble, you know, I kind of like a guy who can scrap it around. So it's that's why Rom's probably near the top as a co-favorite. But maybe Jordan Speed I think the harder the golf course gets, the more it would probably play into Jordan Spieth's hands because all of a sudden his short game becomes more of an advantage. Because right now it's just a scorable golf course. So the very best players in the world, like Aram, like the way that Kepka is playing have risen to the top because they can do anything they want to right now in this golf course.
2: You referenced Sam Bennett, the amateur, who, like you said, is still in school at Texas A&M. And you look at this leaderboard, He's right there, a stroke behind John Rahm, like Victor Hovlin. He's at minus six right now for the tournament. How would you describe how difficult it is to do what he's doing right now?
0: Yeah, I, he's a really good player, and he probably should have, no, not should have. He probably could have turned professional last year if he wanted to and ended up sticking out for another year in college station for a number of reasons. Number one being to to take advantage of the fact that he won the U S amateur, um, and just to play in that tournament and when he wins it to maintain the advantages. And that is, you know, getting into the tournament here this year, because that goes away. If you turn professional, they typically rescind that invitation. Um, if you've given up your amateur status, um, but for a guy like Sam Bennett, he's just a gutsy scrappy kid. Who's won at every level. There's a ton of great stories about his father who had early onset dementia and the influence that he has, the tattoo he has in his arm, of the last words of wisdom that his dad gave him. I mean there's a lot to really like about Sam Bennett. I spent some time with him down in Texas at an amateur event a few years ago and I mean, just an absolute competitive spitfire of an athlete. Uh, you your back hurts if you watch him swing a golf club. Like he's got a it's like a ninety degree angle of impact down there. I don't know how long that's sustainable. But there's just something around this golf course. You have to be so precise. You have to have the game. You have to have the goods to be able to play well here. But you also have to have just the want to and a will to get the ball in the hole, to gut out of par when you're out of position. And look, the weekend's going to get here. It's going to get really, really hard. There's going to be more of a microscope on him. You know, the odds say he's not going to be able to maintain this type of level. But I do appreciate the fact that of all the amateurs in the field, he wasn't the one we were talking about at the beginning of the week. Gordon Sargent, the 19-year-old from Vanderbilt, has – unworldly length and incredible ball striking skills and is almost dead last. Like he was the guy I was looking forward to watching this week. And it's Sam Bennett, who I think, you know, maybe even a chip on his shoulder about it. Like he is just an absolute gamer, just a, you know, if he was football, he's a slot receiver. You know, if he's basketball, he's like a Braden Smith at Purdue, you know, just like a guy that goes out there and finds a way to scrap it around and get it done, but also probably doesn't get enough respect for how much game he really has. So I like the fact that he's getting this spotlight here this week. because He's a really good story uh, and he's going to be a good professional.
3: Will Haskett with us here on the fan. Will, I know you talked to the Morning Show earlier this week, and while my in-depth knowledge might not be as precise in this realm as one Kevin Bowen, uh, I am also a big Tiger Woods fan, so i got to ask the question while we're here. As you're looking at where he stands, tied for 50th right now, two par to start the day. Uh, my expectation of, oh, maybe there'll be some noise on Sunday has been whittled down to, let's make the cut. I uh, think he makes the cut
0: we need we got to root for no storms. We got to get this round in today. I think if, if they have to come back out tomorrow in cold conditions and it's a start-stop type of situation for him and trying to get the body revved up, I think it becomes a real problem for him. But this is going to be a tough afternoon sitting on the cut line for Tiger. I was disappointing yesterday because it looked like he just wasn't right at the beginning of the day. His warm-up looked a little bit stiff. He just didn't look as if everything came together. He needs a lot of good things to go his way. Like some days, are better than others with the body. And yesterday the body wasn't good, and it's a sign of his greatness that he's still on the cut line. I mean, he's beaten a number of high-quality players at the peak of their game right now, and he's doing it with smoke and mirrors, really, around a golf course that he knows better. So can he make the cut? Absolutely. He's Tiger Woods. Uh, So that's totally possible. He needs – we need to get this round in today because I think in cold, wet conditions tomorrow, if, say, something pops up in the next hour and it pulls him off the golf course and he's got to play, you know – Another nine holes tomorrow. Um, oof. I think that'd be really, really hard on him and the body to do that. So if
2: you're rooting for a Tiger Woods made cut, um, root for the Storms to miss Augusta this afternoon. You know, Will, before you go, I was just curious if the Masters for you is like music for me, meaning... If uh, a Johnny Come Lately is like, oh yeah, Metallica, Enter Sandman, and that's all they know, I'm like, get out of my face! You don't know anything, right? now. Is that how the Masters is for you when you get these Johnny Come Latelys? Like, oh, I mean, act like they know what they're talking about, and you're like, you don't know anything about any of the non-major tournaments. Do you look at it like that at all?
0: Uh, sometimes, I mean, that'd be a little <laughs> bit too uh, high and mighty of me to sort of say that. I, I joke with, I joke with you guys. It's like. I'm doing 40 tournaments a year on PGA Tour radio. And funny, this is the first time all year that I'm doing the car wash on 1070, the fan to talk about golf. That's
2: the
0: reality of the business, right? I mean, it's, it's a niche sport and, you know, it's been good to me my entire life. But we recognize that this is a week where this is one of the preeminent sporting events in all of sport around the world. And so I get that. It'd be the same thing for me talking about, like, I know tennis when I'm only watching Wimbledon, the French Open, and the U.S. Open probably every year. I'm skipping one of the majors. I don't even pay attention to the Australian Open, you know? So... Mm -hmm it's um it's a great week to introduce people to certain characters and i hope that then they turn around and they want to watch them I mean, the pga tour has adjusted its schedule now to try and bring the best players together as much as possible and next week's another one of their new um designated events um the rbc heritage over in hilton head which has always been a great event on the schedule but now this year every single top player is committed to play in it so whatever happens this week you're going to see those PGA Tour players all playing together next week. So maybe it kind of drives some attention going there. Now, granted, if Brooks Koepig is on the win, he's not a PGA Tour player anymore. He's a live golfer. And that's a different conversation for a different day. Maybe on Monday when I'm sitting in there with Jimmy doing this show from noon to three. We'll see what we going to talk about coming up on Monday.
2: <laughs> we'll see how it goes, man. Well, hey, Will, thanks for the time, man. Enjoy the rest of the tournament. We'll catch you soon. Thanks, Will. Right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. There he is, Will Haskett, PGA Tour Radio. How about that, the comparison between Sam Bennett, amateur Texas A&M, and scrappy Purdue guard Braden Smith? I like that. I hope that means Sam's not going to fade down the stretch, though. You know, uh, I mean, that, that, that would be
3: unfortunate uh, if you are in his camp. Uh, I, it jumped from, I don't know what he was before, but I mean, now he's plus 6,000 odds. So I hope that's not un- unraveling uh, uh, with us as things stand. But yeah, I mean, look, when you look at where... Uh, the day has started to where uh, just the weather aspect of it. That's a great point you brought up earlier, is that we react to it in such a a different way when it comes to golf for a lot of different reasons. But stylistically, it is still impacted just as much as, to your example, a passing team is going to be impacted uh, if there's torrential downpour, winds or, or snow, whatever the case may
2: be. Well, and I also think, you know, when he mentioned Sam Bennett, and his just his style. He's like, your back hurts watching this guy tee (laughs) off. I just find that interesting, too. Does your style translate to old? Because you might have some success early in your career, but does it translate to old? Like, Lamar Jackson doesn't have a style that translates to old. Uh, Albert Pujols, who I loved with the St. Louis Cardinals, when he went to the Angels, even when he was with the Cardinals, I knew just based on his batting stance – how you use so much lower body and just so much torque and power. I'm like, that's not going to translate to old, yeah. right? It, so I wonder, it's very early. Sam Bennett's 23 years old. But we don't talk about that in golf hardly at all. Right. If we talk about a quarterback that takes a lot of chances running like Lamar, we're going to talk about that. We rarely talk about a golfer like, man, dude, that style and that swing – Woo, you got you don't have a long shelf life with that thing right there. So I, I find that to stand out as well. Coming up next, was Eddie Garrison ripped off or is he trying to game the system? <laughs> and we have the result. The results are in. He heard back. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. I'm Brian Noe. He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian Noe. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. So uh, top of the hour, Kevin Bowen. We'll talk golf and beyond. Colts, hodgepodge. Think we can get cricket in? What's the most obscure sport we've talked about with KB?
3: I don't know how much knowledge you're going to get out of cricket with him. Uh, really? I, I I can't imagine there's more than what's the sport called? I mean, that's me. That's that's my spot of it. I I can't tell you much about cricket at all, my friend. I can't do you it. You
2: know what's funny is, yeah, uh, you know, there's just so there's much wickets. stuff out there. Wickets a
1: cricket
3: thing, right? Okay, yeah, that's all yeah, I, got. I think so.
2: What else? Yeah, that's probably about it. I got nothing. Well, maybe KB can enlighten us. We'll find out. I'm you can record. bet on darts. Oh, yeah, absolutely you can bet on I darts. wonder if he knows anything about that. You KB know what's crazy? In the degenerate pool. Have you seen, even if you don't watch it, just like the highlights? I've seen highlights of darts. Yes. And it is... It's insane. It's insane. It is so hyped up. It's like it's concert
3: like, halls of yes. just people absolutely losing their minds. Uh, they'll frequently pop up like every now and again when it's I don't know what the calendar year is for it, but world championship season around there. It'll yeah. pop in my TikTok feed, and I'm just enamored by it because you hear people losing their mind at every throw because these aren't like just, you know, your casual players. These are people where every shot, it's going to hit in the money. Just where's it going to go? Where's it going to land on the board? Yeah, it's electric.
2: Those guys are insane. Are they playing 501 and you just add up your points and count down? It's, I think it's either that or 701. I'm not sure, but these guys. They'll throw three darts, and it's literally, each round is triple 20, triple 20, triple 20. And the whole crowd, (laughs) they'll have signs for 180. That's 180 points. And they'll have this announcer guy, 180. It's freaking awesome. I love it. I don't know how they are so consistent shooting darts like that. That's insane. Just insane.
3: It it is the... Like, darts, you wish that of your franchise quarterback, you could have that pinpoint accuracy on the field. Like, if you could have that type of translation, you'd be really going places with how accurate and just – on a rope those darts are at that
2: level absolutely not everybody can be, be will the thrill levis exactly stop, you know that's yes. just the way it is stop um, it <laughs> how about this eddie i don't know if you tried to work the system with uh, betting on darts over there but how about this story so set it up for the people eddie how right. you tried to work uh fd if you will
1: so last night i was working around the house i was cleaning up i was uh, making some brownies Get a text from a buddy. He goes, hurry, quick. Go to were the they,
2: Hold up. Were they weed brownies or just no, normal brownies?
1: Just normal brownies. Okay. I was just making sure. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't even tell you if they weren't. <laughs> I,
2: I, I'm just curious. <laughs> that's all. Uh,
1: totally legal Totally legal. Brownies. Nothing shady. No shady no brownies. No shady business going okay, on. Okay. All right. Anyway, so a friend texted me. He goes, hey, get to Fanduel quick. They have something out that's probably going to go away. So I... I rushed there. It was Jason Hayward to have a walk in his second plate appearance. He had just walked and they somehow left it open. I placed my money on it. I'm not going to say how much. (laughs) And then I informed two friends of mine to go do it. They did it. I informed (laughs) Jimmy to do it. He went and did it. I never got a text. What's up with that, Eddie? That wasn't
3: a legit tip. I thought it was was something you were feeling good about. I I had no idea.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then, let's see. So then we have to wait for the game to conclude. The bet settles about uh one o'clock in the morning and it goes as a void i'm like well crap so then my friend is up vandal's rear end all day today trying to get an answer on <laughs> on why this was a void so we, he's gone through like five or six different people i've talked to one person i've dm'd their FanDuel support team i didn't get a reply to their support team then they come back and they finally give us an answer and he's like hey sorry since you knew the outcome of the result of this at bat or uh, this plate appearance." We cannot pay out, and it was just so depressing. At least
3: you got the bet back, though, right? You got the, got the bet back. It was voided. Yeah. It was returned. Live to fight another day. Yes, yeah. just yeah. Good depressing. Effort. You good know? effort.
2: How about that though? Because the initial ruling was he didn't have a second plate appearance.
1: Yeah, they, they they tried saying he didn't have a second at bat when he had a second plate appearance. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, some yeah. People within customer support, they're like, "Oh, he didn't have a second at bat, so that's why it doesn't count." Then we're like, "Well." A, 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 well, language is plate a walk is yeah. not a walk yeah. is yeah. not, and at bat, it's a plate appearance.
2: How about that, Eddie? Trying to work the system, betting on something that's already happened. Have you tried to get in on the Masters Day One today? Have you tried to bet that? successfully? I will be
1: completely honest with you. I know very, very little to nothing about golf because I do not give uh, uh, a crap about it. If I'm being completely honest with you, so I have not wagered a penny on golf. <laughs>
2: That's why we got to get you involved over here, Eddie. You're pretty sharp with the other sports. We got to throw you in the deep end.
1: I I understand. I'm very sharp at NBA and MLB, and I'll stick to those lanes.
2: Okay. All right. All right. Coming up next, our guy KB, Kevin Bowen. We're talking a wide array of things, including the Colts, maybe a little Pacers. We'll go in a a lot of different directions. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook here on the fan. I want to welcome in Kevin Bowen. Kevin and Query, you hear him here on the fan. Huge Tiger fan. And Eddie Garrison, uh, that's the music choice he went with right there. You know, uh, what do you think, KB? What do you think about Tiger so far in the Masters, trying to cling on, make the cut here?
4: Yeah, we are in full grind mode. Um, yeah, make yes. the cut is certainly uh, where we're at, trying to extend the streak one more 23 years. In a row as a professional, which should tie a master's record. So, I mean, yesterday, and and Tiger said it pretty accurately after the round, that was the gettable day. You know, he was in the morning wave yesterday. That's when a lot of guys went low. And he did not, didn't hit it close to the hole. And short game is nowhere near what it used to be in terms of rock solid. And, you know, even early on today, just a little off with a bunch of pars here early. So uh, I r- right around it. So we'll see if he can uh, make the cut. And I-, I say you make the cut and then you withdraw. So you don't have to play tomorrow in 45 degree rate, rain- rainy weather.
3: Kev, when you examine, I-, I guess that undercuts part of my next question, because we always like to be able to see a full Sunday across this great event with tiger involved in it, regardless whether he withdraws or not, are-, are you at a, point where this is probably what it's going to look like for him across the board even here at Augusta. Of course, he knows so well because of where his body is at.
4: Yeah, more or less. I mean, he really is going to have to catch lightning in a bottle from a Mother Nature standpoint. And again, I know that that might seem a little bit far-fetched to a lot of people, but I just think his body needs it to be as warm, and he needs the golf course to be as firm as possible to you know, create a little bit more of a you've got to think your way around it and it's not just super wet and it's how far you can fly it. I mean, we watched Tiger hit the golf ball. Now he still hits it fine, but he's not flying it. You know, he, he hits this little weak slice pretty much everywhere. Um, and I think any golfer knows that, you know, that's typically a sign of someone that can't create the same type of swing speed and just um, it, it's much more of a think your way around the golf course. And uh, that's hard to do when the golf course is 7,500 yards. What you got the national is and is wet as it is. So, um, yeah, it, it's a lot of wishful thinking at this point for everything to match up, um, you know, certainly from a walking standpoint. This golf course is not the easiest to walk either, so that would not help him as, you know, 72 holes move along. But stringing together four rounds just seems like a long, long ways away for Eldridge.
2: How about the top of the leaderboard here, KB, where Brooks Kepka he leads all golfers. He's at minus 12, done for the day. Sam Bennett. The amateur, he's in second place now. He's at minus eight. Which do you think is the better story? Brooks Kepka coming back from the kneecap injury from about two years ago. Now he's leading. Or Sam Bennett, who's an amateur, who's done something in the first round, no bogeys at the master, that hasn't been done in the last 30 years. Kepka or Team Bennett for you, KB?
4: Yeah, I mean, the, the Capricorn story is, you know, deserves credit. But, yeah, nothing compares to what Sam Bennett is doing right now. I mean, he's approaching something that's never been done in Masters history in terms of being the low amateur. Um, I think if he gets a nine under, maybe, that would be the lowest ever for an amateur through 36 holes. And, you know, we're talking about a tournament that has gone on for quite some time. I don't know how familiar people are with Sam Bennett. Yeah, I remember watching the USAM last summer. Um And they really focus on the story there of his father passing just a couple years ago. He's got a tattoo on his arm about it. Um, And and this is a guy that plays a little bit of fire. I don't know if we've seen it fully just yet, but plays a little bit of fire, a little bit of swagger. Um, And, I mean, it's darn impressive (laughs) what he's doing. Also, he's playing the defending champ and is absolutely, you know, waxing Scotty Scheffler right now, which that only kind of adds to it. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, and again, I've been pretty vocal about my displeasure with live golf. I mean, Brooks Koepka, um, that's a hell of an effort through 36 holes. Um, I mean, it just looks pretty, pretty easy for Koepka. It looks a little Tiger in his prime. You know, when you look at today's round, uh, he shot five under and literally played the par fives and five under. So those four holes, three birdies and an eagle, He even par the rest of the round, just smart, Solid, you know, middle of the greens on par fives, rolling an eagle putt on eight, um, really clinical by Brooks. And I, I thought after the round, I, I don't know if you guys caught it, you probably didn't because you, you know, obviously been on air. But he pretty much said a, a big reason why he went to live at the time he did was because he was he was hurt. And, and you brought it up, Brian. But I mean, mm-hmm. he was hurt pretty seriously and was playing pretty bad golf. And when you combine that, I thought he looked at himself and thought, boy, I don't know how much longer or if I'm going to get back to the level that I was once at. So why not go get that guaranteed money and, you know, take that as the absolute definite. So, um, but hell of a 36 holes for him. Uh, I like the leaderboard underneath them. I, I I like a lot of guys, but right now way too big of a gap for my uh, entertainment viewing.
3: Kevin Bowen of Kevin and query with us. You can follow him on Twitter at K Bowen, ten seventy. Kev, any, futures bets in terms of outright winners here at Augusta to this point? Will you play anything this weekend or anything that's caught your eye right now?
4: So At the start of the week, I, uh, I, I put a little scratch on two winners and that was Victor Hovland and that was Jason Day um, about an hour ago, maybe 90 minutes ago. I felt pretty good about that and then Jason Day imploded <laughs> on the final four holes. I think he had it to nine under if I'm not mistaken. I think at one point he was two back of Kepka. And then uh, he played the last four in, in four over. Uh, you know, Hovland right now is at seven. So he's, what, five back of Kepka? He's in third. Um, depending on how the weather goes the rest of the day, I mean, Hovland you would think has a chance. But right now, I mean, boy, it, I guess you got to throw a little bit on, you know, some of these guys, you know, five and six back and, and you know, hope that the weather cooperates the rest of the day if they're still on the golf course. Because, again, Brooks Kepka has taken full advantage of. A really nice draw, and clearly he's done it like nobody else that we're seeing off in the same sort of time slots as him. But, boy, he's got to love kind of kicking up the feet this afternoon, seeing if the wind picks up. Um, so, yeah, right now I just pray the day or get in the mix. Uh, and really at this point, I again, just give me drama this weekend.
2: I'm with you, and the whole BGA uh, Tour versus Live Golf Tour that's drama right there. And what's fascinating to me, KB, is that these live events, they don't count toward qualification. So some of these guys that defected in the past year, they're running out of chances to qualify as time goes on. I think that's bad for golf overall. The PGA Tour might like it where it's like, oh, this live guy isn't going to be there. Well, what a shame. But imagine if we didn't have Brooks Kepka leading right now. That's a storyline. That's drama. I want all the drama I can get.
4: Yeah, and I think, you know, adding to the drama would be if, you know, and hopefully we'll, we'll get that this weekend, maybe it's a John Rahm making a run today, where you get kind of a PGA Tour stalwart to go head-to-head against Brooks. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's the type of um, storylines you would love to see. You know, Brooks, case, he's obviously won enough majors that he's still going to be playing in the Masters, uh, but you do have a lot of guys that are, you know, kind of on, on the fringe of that, that based off their world ranking last year, based off finishing top 12 at the Masters last year, that's why they are in the field. And that obviously won't be a given, you know, year in and year out. And really, I mean, a guy that, uh, it, it pains me to say this because I'm a, I'm a tiger guy and I, and I don't like at all how he's handled things in the past couple of years, but you got to give credit where credit's due. Uh, I did not have Phil Mickelson at four under par through, through 36 holes. Mm. Um, he has played terrible over on live as well. And, and, you know, some of that I think helps these guys. Again, this is a golf course that they know a lot and, and, and you'll certainly have ample history here. So um, that aspect of it is pretty familiar to them. But for Mickelson and Kepka's case, um, you know, hell of an effort here he- heading into the weekend.
3: KB, want to switch to mock draft central? as we continue to get closer and closer inside of three weeks now until draft night, we've obviously had the quarterback conversation back and forth, and I'm sure we'll dive into that a little bit over the course of our chat with you here as well. But want to look bigger picture outside of the first round. When you look at obvious needs for this team, I I tend to be more of an offensive first guy, regardless of, uh, of maybe the needs present on defense. I'd love to see shiny new toys, shiny new playmakers, particularly at the wide receiver position. When you look at rounds two and three and need, for this team, will they aggressively tack wide receiver first, or do you think it's more cornerback slash additional help on defense after you get side after you get outside around one?
4: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, knowing Chris Ballard, I, I wouldn't hold my breath on on a lot of heavy <laughs> offensive selections, really. And, yeah. and if you looked at it purely from like a depth chart standpoint. Um, and, and didn't think about, hey, I have a rookie quarterback. How do we best support that rookie quarterback early on, which, again, I think needs to be the first priority with any roster acquisition move that you make. I mean, corner is a massive need. Um, you know, Stephon Gilmore played over 1,000 snaps for you last year. I mean, right now your, your starting corners would be Isaiah Rogers, Dallas Flowers, and then Kenny Moore in a, in a contract year. So even the short term, especially the long term, you've got some big questions at that position it does sound like it's a pretty deep cornerback draft. So, you know, maybe that that would be a route that you would pursue. But I tend to side with you. Um, I'd like to see a pass catcher uh, being taken, you know, if not round two, definitely in round three. I get that you have some young guys on your roster that you like. But, you know, when you look at the offensive moves here this offseason, it, it's kind of interesting how it's unfolded in that, you, you know, the Colts were good on defense last year. Um and they've lost four of their top eight guys on that side of the ball. Um, they were bad on offense, and yet you look at what they've done on offense this year, they've lost, you know, a guy that was a nice contributor for them in Paris Campbell, and his replacement to me is more of a kind of a gadget guy in Isaiah McKenzie. So, you know, from a personnel standpoint, um, it, it's pretty interesting that they just haven't really touched the offense at all after a year that they were historically poor uh, with that unit. So, Um, in some order, I would say it's corner, it's pass catcher, and it's offensive line that I think you need to, those three to me outside of quarterback, kind of stand above the rest on the needs list.
2: Just had a random thought, KB. We've talked so much draft stuff that I'm just worried I'm going to ask you the same question again. You know what I mean? I feel like you're a nice (laughs) dude. You would just answer it and maybe think to yourself, like this idiot no already asked me this, but I would never know it. Is that how you would handle it?
4: Uh, yeah, I, I I don't think I'd be like, yeah, Brian. Wow, you asked me that last week and <laughs> asked me that back in mid March because I know I'm sure as hell that I have asked you know very similar questions, if not the same question. And honestly, part of that is just it's kind of the nature of the season. Like April for a team drafting high in the draft, it, it just it gets a tad redundant. It gets are we having the same conversations over and over again? And you guys know this full well. I mean, this is peak line season. I mean, peak <laughs> line season. Like. Everything I hear, see, read, my first thought is skepticism. And I'm I'm not usually like that type of person. I'm not this like, you know, whatever, king conspiracy theorist. Or or, I'm like, hmm, you know. But when it comes to draft talk, especially between now and, you know, two weeks from Thursday, everything is like that for me.
3: Kevin, when you look at, where your stance has changed on this quarterback class over the last couple of weeks. And as you've talked to more scouts and, and just talked with with anybody on the show or just on your beat, uh, 107.5thefan.com, what's been the biggest thing that's changed or moved the needle for you with any of these quarterbacks, even if it's someone that likely won't end up with the Colts like Shroud or Young, assuming that it kind of goes chalk in one-two come April 27th?
4: Yeah, 21st. it's a good way to put it. Um, I, again, I, I continue to think, you know, Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud are on a tier by themselves. And, you know, I probably felt that way, but I, I just think it's a little bit more reassurance on that. You know, probably a little bit more open-minded to Anthony Richardson. I, I feel like in a weird way, I've always thought just this recent, like, aggressive criticism towards Will Levis is a tad overblown with that. Um And, you know, the question that I threw to Jake earlier today, and I guess I'll toss your guys' way, is how I look at it is if you've got two similar quarterbacks, and let's just play out the hypothetical that it's Levis and Richardson here, to me the question becomes what do those guys lack? And what they lack, how teachable is that? You know, how much can you correct it? How much can you develop the trait that they do not have that is the reason why they're not on the tier of Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. So in Richardson's case, it's accuracy. And in Levis's case, it's probably some footwork and some processing. Mm-hmm. And so now you have to look at it and say, all right, is Richardson's accuracy due to a lack of game reps? Is it something from a fundamental standpoint? Can you correct that? And in Levis's case, is it because he had offensive coordinator turnover and the lack of personnel around him was not maybe the most ideal environment this past season at Kentucky? Um, so those are the things like you have to, I think, ask yourself And say, you know, can we develop that? Because, you know, I I don't think we're in a situation with any of these four guys where we're really questioning them too much, like from a character standpoint. I mean, by all accounts, all of them kind of check that box. This isn't like maybe a Kyler Murray situation or a Baker Mayfield situation when those guys came came out. I think you feel pretty confident about that. Um, So now it becomes, you know, what do they lack, and, and how confident do you feel that you can teach that?
2: That's a good way to look at it, KB. I like that. By the way, before you go. Your partner, Jake Query, uh, you know, I would like you to do something for me, okay? So this goes back earlier in the week. He was uh, mentioning me and Dane Fife, a show we did. And we interviewed Trace Jackson Davis. This is this a short snippet of what he said the other day?
1: Trace Jackson Davis did join the midday show here on The Fan with Dane Fife and Brian Noy.
2: Okay, so Noy right there, right? Like, it's no. So if you could, your finishing move of choice, put him in the, the yeah. stone-cold stunner, you know, maybe maybe you go Undertaker, Tombstone, Piledriver, whatever you would like to do, but if he throws out a Brian Noy again, can you do that for me, KB?
3: This rocked him to his core, Kevin. He, he needs some retribution. Yeah.
4: You know, uh, Ryan, you usually when about 10 a.m. hits on Friday, I'm probably ready to go Undertaker with Jake anyway. So <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't even know if I needed to uh, have any encouragement from you. But given that, I, I will certainly do that. Uh, you know, I, as a diehard Notre Dame basketball fan, I, I am a big uh, follower of Tom Noy. So I must admit, ah. when I first heard that from Jake, I thought, is he referencing Tom Noy? But I will make sure on Monday to let him know that uh, NOE... Uh, Any relation to Mark No, by the way? He was a teacher that I had in high school.
2: No, I don't <laughs> believe so. Um, I'll no double-check yeah. that. I don't think so. I, I would have anticipate right. Mark is a great man, though.
4: Yes, he is. He, he, great cat. Hell of, a, uh, hell of a tennis coach. Uh so yeah, I will. Uh, I will make sure that um, that does not happen again. And if it does, um, it's not going to end well for 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 Jake and the Undertaker.
2: Perfect. Thank you, KB. I knew I could count on you, man. <laughs> enjoy the weekend, and thanks for the time today, man. Boys, always enjoy it. Happy Friday. Thanks, Kevin. Same too. to you. There he is, Kevin Bowen. Kevin and Query. By the way, I like how KB says amateur. Do you do that? Amateur, amateur. I say amateur. But it's more distinguished the way KB does it.
3: I think I lead more amateur. This is the third time this yeah. week you propose one of these to me, and when I think about it, I feel <laughs> like I interchange. I'm not a hard stance guy <laughs> one way or the other, but probably more often than not, I say amateur.
2: Yeah, talking about Sam Bennett, who's in second place of the Masters right now. Oh, I got another eight. one. What do you have? Tournament or tournament? Tournament all tournament. day. Tournament. Tournament, okay. tournament. yeah. Tournament. Yeah. I will say, though, amateur...
3: your example plays the stage of golf far better doesn't it yes
2: especially with the masters music in the background Mm -hmm. yep if you just said amateur the amateur
3: sam bennett having a great (laughs) outing so far
2: i i like that kb he talked about the colts defense was good last season which it freaking (laughs) was was. it was and i go back to this yahoo sports column that we were talking about disappointing They're just ranking the divisions, which are the most competitive divisions, which are the least competitive divisions. And within this write-up, it said the AFC South was one of the least competitive divisions. The writer expects the Jaguars to repeat. Okay, whatever. But at the end of this, Jimmy, it says the Houston Texans and Indianapolis Colts, meanwhile, both have bad defenses and will start either a rookie or mediocre quarterback under center. The Colts do not have a bad defense. The KB's point, they're missing some talent going into this season compared to last season. But to say that they have it, they've got a bad defense, even with the losses, it's not a bad defense.
3: Yeah, like we talked about earlier, for me, this is, you're trying to make your point. You're trying to emphasize how easy the South is going to be. And perhaps there was not enough digging, not perhaps, there was not enough digging done in the realm of the Colts analysis for these one or two sentences you're giving. I agree with the concept that I think the Jaguars are a runaway right now. Like with today, that's who I would back. Had no problem doing it in terms of favorites across all divisions in football. But the idea that you're going to take the Colts down a peg with something that is not accurate, it frustrates me for an otherwise relatively interesting thought piece.
2: No, that's true. And also, he did mention Phil Mickelson, lefty, at minus four right now. He's tied for 11th. And that's a lot higher than many people thought he would, where he would be right now. The thing with lefty is... I hate the neutered version of himself. You know what I mean? It's like he... If Phil Mickelson, if he started off as a sports car, he was a Ferrari. Like, he was lefty. He's bigger than life, gregarious, fun. And now he's like a a cheap used car. Like, you don't even see him on the broadcast and you don't hear from him. It's just weird how it's gone from bigger than life, fun, to this muted, neutered version of himself. It's strange. And
3: and even it's so much deeper than just live because I feel like if you rewind the tapes and you're putting lives arrival in like 2012 or so, let's just go like a, a decade plus since right now, I think Phil is still being open and, and just aggressive about yeah. his entire decision to go there. And he's not yeah. shying away from press conferences. And and he's, he he has good quips and good one liners to throw back at at the, uh, the media court available there for press conferences. And now it's, That's the bigger thing for me is, like, even though I wasn't always, like, diehard Phil when the Phil Tiger happened, I was more Tiger, I miss the idea of a good soundbite or a good nugget from him versus now where, like you said, you have to really work hard to figure out where he is in the state of play for the Masters this weekend.
2: Right, and look, I get in terms of the coverage where... This is a PGA Tour event, right? With the Masters and uh, basically, right? And and I understand why they're not going to shove a microphone in front of his face at every turn. Yeah. You know, I get that. But it's not just about the lack of coverage. It's that during the Champions dinner, Phil was there. And according to Fuzzy Zeller, he's like, yeah, he sat at the end of the table. He didn't talk to anybody, he didn't say anything. (laughs) Like, it's like, that's not Phil at all. It's weird. So it's not just the lack of coverage. It's that he's behaving so differently now. It's strange. I don't like it. I don't like it. No, I'm with you. I, I wish that
3: there was something we could do about it. Regrettably, we have to roll and hope that there's more drama created by somebody else. Brooks Kepka is plenty capable of doing that, and he's backing it up with his play right now. Uh, if you listen to the fan at all or you followed Kevin Bowen uh, across his, his tenure covering sports, you know how big a Tiger Woods fan he is. So to drop in a Tiger Woods-esque comparison in terms of the second round that Kevka put together very very high praise and deservedly so when you put a five under second round now 12 under and the leader of this great event
2: Yes, very high praise. Uh, short game, not worthy of high praise yesterday for Tiger. <laughs> no. Was he one out of 12 in terms of his short game? Uh, it's bad. Not, caught a not little heat buddy.
3: late. He had had two straight birdies before he went off the air, but then he closed with a bogey, and it's been, as Kevin mentioned, pretty much par, 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 though a really nice approach, approach uh, yeah. shot uh, he just had a couple moments
2: ago. So. Very nice. That's big for the cut right there, mm-hmm. as he should be able to to uh, put that one on home. Selfishly, for Birdie. selfishly, I'll be disappointed, though, if he does what Kevin
3: suggested. And I get it, and it would be well within his right. And, like, I'll still watch, and I won't be mad, and maybe it's the risk-reward of, if his body's really not there, and, yeah, the colder it is, the harder it's going to be mm-hmm. on him and his and his ailments, I would easily see withdrawal. But to your point mm-hmm. about Phil not being Phil, and I know yeah. Tiger isn't Tiger, that yeah. would not feel Tiger for me. That if he makes the cut, and then... Waves the
2: hat and, and that's the end. Uh, of it. man. I would much rather he didn't make yeah. the cut yeah, me too. Than make it and have to bow out me too. That's just not Tiger. No doubt that that's like, you know, the late Kobe Bryant We always think about him shooting the free throw with the torn Achilles. Yeah, you know that like that's Kobe like Tiger is a guy Who just guts it out? Yep. So yeah, I hope it doesn't come to that by the way uh, real fast before we turn the page here Eddie Garrison made it very clear that he pretty much hates all things golf. And so I'm just curious, <laughs> honest question. We've talked a decent amount of golf today. How has it been, Eddie? I want you to be brutally honest. Are you just like falling asleep I gotta wake on the him up. board? On. Or I gotta wake him up you know, has it been okay? Slightly enjoyable? It's not that
1: I don't hate golf. It's just that I don't get... I don't understand how people enjoy just sitting there watching guys... <laughs> Hate golf balls, it's like, it is the most boring thing <laughs> it's, ever. It's like watching paint dry or watching but your But that's grass not the question. Grow.
2: Okay, you hate watching golf, but how about the conversation we've had about have golf? Have you dozed off at been? all on the golf Oh, content. certainly
1: I have dozed off, but like, <laughs> at the same time, I listen because I still need to be up to date on what's going on
2: okay fair enough fair in between naps, you've heard uh every you know ninth word hey, or something hey, like that he's informed he's just not happy about it that, yeah, that's where yeah. we're at <laughs> he's informed but he doesn't like it My <laughs> words
1: all fair to jimmy yesterday are much more stronger than what i'm saying right now
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay all right coming up next oh uh, man non-golf talk that's right up your alley here Woo-hoo. eddie garrison there's a new mock draft And it has a lot to do with the Indianapolis Colts. We will rank how likely it is to happen on a scale from 1 to 10. Highly scientific. That's on the way. (laughs) I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. Here on The Fan. You know, I I know he promised uh, Colts talk, and we'll get to it in just a minute here. But at the risk of Eddie Garrison falling asleep here, I can't get over Sam Bennett, where he's on 17 right now, Jimmy. And for his day, he's got one bogey, five birdies, in sole possession of second place right now as an amateur at the Masters. Like, that, I think that is the story of the tournament so far. Brooks Kepka and his jacked-up knee from two years ago. That's a huge story as well, don't get me wrong. But an amateur doing this, I, I don't know. I just think that's... I don't know the best way to say it, like the common man storyline where it's like, oh, dude, like you almost put yourself in the shoes of Sam Bennett more than you would Brooks Koepka, whether that's fair or silly or not. I think you can uh, relate to Sam Bennett a little bit more. If you're like you know, amateur status of whatever occupation you do, you know, you, you might pull for Sam Bennett a little more there.
3: We were joking a little bit during the break about potential jinxes that could, you know, definitely have an impact on real world golfers based on what we're betting. So uh, enjoy this story while you can, because I put $2 Uh-oh. just now on Uh-oh. Sam Bennett at 5000 uh, to win the whole thing. Ooh, so, so, so I should go bet. Uh... So you should go bet anybody else, basically, is what I'm telling. Go find okay. Go find your Kefka? dance partner. Yeah. Kepka's
2: fine. Go ahead. Go do that. I'm surprised it'd be 50 to 1 so, uh, when he's in I, I, second I'm, place. I am
3: paraphrasing a bit. This was placed at 2:04, so about 26 minutes ago. I I'm 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 misleading the audience slightly, but oh, I did fine, do it but during our conversation for uh uh with with uh,
2: KB. He was close. Yeah. He was close to where he currently is. Yep. I'm surprised the odds are that long. I get it. He's an amateur and I I I get it. I get it, but 50 to 1 when you're at the time you place that around second place, those odds seem longer than the Possibility that he actually wins it. I would agree.
3: Right? And, and yeah. to this point, it's, it's plus 3,500 now. So, I mean, it's... And live See? lines with golf are very strange because... Oh, Tiger. Oh. I yeah, missed it. Uh, birdie we'll putt, putt missed it. by Tyatt's disappointing. It's the worst. Mm. Man, you do
2: all this work and you you have a makeable putt, you miss it by an inch to the right. Tiger! Got to get Four. one of those out there. So, I know Kevin's, ahead, Eddie. Wait.
1: I know Kevin's watching this. Uh-huh. And when he's when he's doing this, this is what I imagine him saying right now. No,
3: God! Well done. <laughs> no, God! Please, no, no.
1: That's just yeah. imagine when I see KB. That's and what I'm For thinking. the record, like when you talk about golf, I am all for this storyline. But if there were more storylines like this regularly, maybe I would watch golf. But to me, it's just it just look, doesn't
3: happen. Look often. To, to clarify. I, I will watch and throw on an, an whatever, uh, uh, Valero Open, it was a couple weekends ago, but I'll, I'll throw on a, a tournament if it's like a Saturday or Sunday, middle of summer, because, hey, you just want something on in the background and I can follow some of these golfers. It's I'm called not baseball. Gonna, I'll, I'll do the same with baseball <laughs> yeah. as well, but I like I felt slightly uh, stabbed at by one Brian note when he brought oh, up yeah? the Will Haskett because to some extent, I, I am a Johnny-come-lately by his definition oh, no. because I, I I love the majors, but yeah, I'm not like, daddy's yeah. point,
2: I'm not as enthralled as the diehard golf no, fans no, no, no. watching no, here's all the thing. tour events. It's the first thing. I didn't even know that was true. Uh, that was no veiled shot at you. Like No, I, no, no. I knew it was. Yeah, yeah. To be clear, I'm not trying no. to paint it like you, but I felt I I'm felt very it. direct. I'm very yes. direct. Yes, I, you are. I would come at you guns blazing. No, I know you would. <laughs> if, if anything, it's really me also. I, I'm yeah. not a huge golf guy at all. I love the Masters. I watch the Majors. I don't watch the non-majors. And so basically, I'm everything that I absolutely despise (laughs) about certain people related to music. If you're like, oh, hey, man, yeah, Metallica, Enter Sandman, I'm like, name another song. And they're like drawing a blank. I, I, you know, I want to put him in the Steiner recliner. You know, I want to <laughs> sure. give him a Stone Cold Stunner. It drives sure. me freaking crazy. But that's how I am with golf. I'm like, oh, hey, the Masters. Oh yeah, what happened at the Valero Open? I didn't even know it was an Open, right? Like, so yeah, I'm everything I hate.
3: And and there's like, I need, I need stakes and I need hype. And, yeah. and here here's how I, I guess. I'm not gonna remember which hole it is and, and to not call myself on it I should, but the waste management open, I, I can't I it's blanking it might be on me. 16. I think might it is be. sixteen, but yeah. I but but again, people go nuts. It's a whole gallery. It's yeah, awesome. A couple a couple uh, last year even, um you had just beers flying everywhere yeah. because they had a hole in one uh, on sixteen. Like if there's a a niche or if there's just an avenue that i can attach myself to i'm all about a casual tournament in february or or a tournament in mid-june or july but yeah i'm not the the every man that's going to sit down and try to sell to eddie hey you're gonna get enjoyment out of random tournament in june but if you can't get involved or intrigued at all yeah. By Augusta, it's I not yeah, for you. It's, not, it's for you. not for
2: you. It does remind me a bit of the Final Four that we just had. Yeah. where The stakes are as high as they're going to be. This is for a championship. These are the Final Four teams. If Florida, Atlantic, and San Diego State don't do it for you, okay. I mean, I get it, but the stakes on the line, the prestige. I, I love basketball to begin with. I'm, I'm absolutely going to be watching. I don't understand these people that don't. Yeah. But, hey, man, sometimes the Masters, that's not even enough for a a non-golf fan. Let's get to the Colts here, as promised, because Nick Baumgartner of The Athletic, he put out a new mock draft, and he did the top three rounds, so rounds one through three. So we'll look at who he's got the Colts getting, but I want to focus on the top five here, Eddie. And and Jimmy, (laughs) first time you've done that in a while. What it is? (laughs) At least he caught it. Yeah, I did catch it. I'm making a little bit of progress over here. So Nick has the Lions making a trade with the Arizona Cardinals. So the Lions jump up from number six to number three, and they draft Will Anderson Jr. out of Alabama, and then he's got the Colts taking Anthony Richardson at number four. Now whether you're Team Richardson or Team Levis, what have you, put that to the side just for a second. The Colts not moving up and still having their pick between Richardson and Will Levis is something that I would absolutely like to see. The chances of this happening, I mean, Will Anderson Jr. might be a stud in the NFL, but do you see the Lions? This is what the Colts did a few years ago with the Jets, right? The the Jets move up from 6-3, to to get Sam Darnold and the Colts moved down and they got Quentin Nelson and others, Braden Smith involved in that deal. So to move up from six to three, yeah, trades happen, but to move into the top five for a non quarterback. eh, Yeah, I don't know. And you're leapfrogging a team like the Colts that needs a quarterback. I don't think we're going to see that. I would put the likely on this, uh, the, uh, the probability of this happening scale from one to 10 I'll give it a two. I just don't see the Lions pole vaulting above the Colts there.
3: I'm going to give it a four, which isn't much Mm -hmm. better. But but the reason I could potentially see it happening is if you are Detroit and you misguidedly, by the way, if you believe that Jared Goff is your answer at quarterback, you don't need to try to trade up for one of these quarterbacks. You're good. You're fine. You're standing pat or hey, maybe it's, eh, we don't really value Richardson or Levis. We think Goff's better. We're fine. Okay. So what's your next thought? Well, they could use some more weapons on the defensive side of the ball. Seattle could also use some help on the defensive end. They're a pick above you as it stands, 6-5. to You make a trade up with Arizona to guarantee you get your guy. Bada bing, bada boom, there's a selection. I, I could see that playing out if that is where Detroit's most pressing need is in their war room is to get the defender of their choosing.
2: You know what I love so much about the draft with you just saying that comment there, Jimmy, is that... It sounds right now on April 7th. It will to a lot of people sound utterly preposterous that it's even possible that Jared Goff could be better than either Anthony Richardson or Will yeah. Levis, right? Like, it could easily be the case. Yes. Like, it's, not a big, it's
4: not
3: a big ledge to go off of to say that Jared Goff, who, despite his flaws, has made a, a successful, at least in terms of handling starting jobs. And, and even though he got traded from L.A. because of his flaws, he has been able to find himself a new home in Detroit. Not a big realm to say that, hey, a proven starter in the league, even though towards the bottom half will have a longer career than these wild card prospects that we just don't know how they're going to translate just yet
2: yeah it's uh look i'm not telling you jared goff is awesome but his passer rating for his career we're talking seven seasons here is 92.8 that's it's it's decent it's not bad serviceable And, and just a couple of stats to throw out we know all of this isn't based on stats but like playing for the lions the last couple of years mixed with five years with the Rams. Touchdowns to interceptions, 155 to 70. Like, seriously, think about this. Over the next seven years, let's say Anthony Richardson and Will Levis are starting for over the next seven years, which we don't even know that. Do you think that their numbers are going to be better than 155 touchdowns, seven interceptions? They could. Don't get me right. The point is, it could go either way. But we tend to look at it where because it's the the bright new shiny thing and because we haven't seen any failure whatsoever in the nfl because they they're not there yet our imaginations run wild where it's like oh my gosh you get anthony richardson the sky's the limit (laughs) he could easily be worse than jared goff easily
3: and and regardless of who they take and that's why i agree with you through this larger process is that regardless of who they take Even if you're lined up to make the number one overall pick, it, for the most part, tried and true, takes time for quarterbacks to reach their full potential in the NFL. The the older example and the example around town is always Peyton Manning, the early struggles that he had. They supplied us more weapons. He got more confident as an NFL quarterback. Trevor Lawrence is that embodiment right now, right? I'm not saying he's going to have a career like Peyton Manning, but he's back on a path where... Maybe he is going to be as good as he was projected to be out of college because of the bounce-back year he had in year number two. You can't just wash everything away off of just their rookie campaign. It does become harder, though, as a fan, to bottle in that anticipation if he's sitting for a whole year, which very well could happen here in
2: Indianapolis. Yeah, maybe. We'll see how it shakes out. Also, this mock draft from Nick Baumgartner, he's got the Tennessee quarterback Hendon Hooker going out 81st overall to the Lions (laughs) is what he has. Okay, like, what do you think the chances are of that? Let's just take the the pick itself. Number 81, right? Like, it's interesting to think about that because you're starting to hear a little bit more buzz about Hendon Hooker maybe going in the first round. If not, maybe the second round, but pick 81. It makes me wonder... Last year, we saw this. We saw this with Desmond Ritter and Malik Willis and these guys that went in the third round much lower than a lot of people expected. Could that happen with Hendon Hooker? Yeah, it could. It doesn't seem like it right now, but I wouldn't be as shocked come draft day as I initially was when I first saw this mock draft.
3: We're having to wade through. You've warned us. Thor has warned us. The <laughs> God of Thunder has warned us that if we have that warning, then, you know, we got to keep moving where we are. Kevin has warned us. It is lying season. Sure. It is manipulation season. I might not be like jaw to the floor, but I would be relatively surprised if one team couldn't look at the skill level of Hendon Hooker, despite the fact that he's coming off of injury and not want to take a swing at him in the second round, I would be a little bit surprised if middle to late
2: third, he's still on the board. That would shock me a little bit. I won't lie. We'll see, man. I, I would be surprised. I wouldn't be shocked. How about the Colts selections? So we're looking at this first three rounds. Take it for what it is. So Nick Baumgartner of The Athletic, he's got Anthony Richardson going number four overall to the Colts. Number 35 pick, he's got quarterback from Mississippi State, Emmanuel Forbes, which you might be hearing his name for the first time right now. But if that indeed is the pick oh my gosh, I hear this guy has great closing speed and look at him in bump and run coverage. And I, I love this freaking guy, right? Like that, It's not a Colts thing. It's just an NFL thing. Every fan base tends to do that.
3: It's a need. You see a need addressed and you're like, yes. yes. That's what we know, even though I really only knew about you four minutes ago. But yes, our need is addressed. It's, it's This is, this is just
2: like Darius Slay. Yep. Big play, play Slay went to the same college. He's going to be as good as yep. the Eagles quarterback. I know it. Lock I know it this. Um, yep. Yeah, but if he goes to the Titans, this guy stinks. He's not going to do anything. (laughs) And then uh, also number 79, via Washington, uh, Tank Dell, wide receiver from Houston. So that's it according to the three-round mock. Just keep those names in mind. Don't know if it will ever happen. But if it does, uh, Tank Dell will not be the – it'll be the second time you've heard that name possibly (laughs) (laughs) on draft day if you're listening right now. If you're a Colts fan – and you have your preferences,
3: just like we all do. For example, as we've stressed, I'm Team Richardson. Brian is Team Will, the Thrill, Levis. So you got you to have that in there too. But as long as the needs are addressed, every fan base, I'm not saying the Colts are going to do the same thing. Ah, We can't believe he was still there. We're so happy that we got our guy. We hear it every year from every team, not just the Colts. But as long as the needs are being addressed, yes, any fan base is going to be able to talk themselves into it, whether it plays quarterback, cornerback, wide receiver, Or QB wide receiver cornerback. As long as I see those addressed in some capacity and I can get behind what we've seen on tape from said prospect, I'm not going to be angry come day after the draft.
2: Hey, coming up next, there's a scenario I just thought of. If it plays out like this, would there be more or less pressure on the Colts quarterback? And we'll get you some gambling selections coming up as well. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. You know, I was thinking about this scenario here, Jay Cook. What would put more pressure on the Colts quarterback? Okay, assuming they take a quarterback in the first round. Would it be scenario one? The Colts stay at number four and they get the fourth of four quarterbacks, okay? Right? Like quarterbacks go one, two, three, four. Could happen. Would that put more pressure on the Colts quarterback, or would it be where quarterbacks go one, two, there's a defensive player or a non-quarterback chosen three, and the Colts have their choice between Richardson and Levis, most likely, and they take one of those two guys. Which would put more pressure on the Colts quarterback?
3: To me, it's the latter. You look at, and I know this is different than the scenario you played out, but bear with me for a second... The fact that the Bears made a trade-up acquisition to go get Mitchell Trubisky combined with the fact that Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes were quarterbacks that followed him after his selection, he is forever tied with that trio of QBs throughout the entirety of mm-hmm. his time in the NFL. And obviously, yeah. it's less prevalent now that he's a backup and and you know isn't a starting quarterback, but it's still something that's going to be referenced. And if he ever gets another bite at the apple, that's going to be the storyline that follows him. Oh, here's the guy that was picked before Mahomes and Watson. To me, and again, you have to debate within yourself the type of mental fortitude the prospect has. How much will it really impact them? But if we're saying it is going to impact them one way or the other, it is being chosen over another prospect Mm -hmm. where the Colts could have a choice of, for the sake of argument, Richardson or Levis. I stressed this to you yesterday. If I'm Will Levis, it's going to be very hard if Richardson is shining and developing into this great toy and the Colts could have had him, and instead they chose Levis and he doesn't do the same. For me, it would put immense pressure on me to try to get to that level or prove the Colts were right in taking me.
2: Well, listen, I think you got it right. In those two scenarios, I think that having your choice between two quarterbacks at, let's say, three or four, whether you move up at three or you stay put at four, if you have your choice between... Levis Richardson and you make your choice. Yeah, that's going to put a lot of pressure on the Colts QB because there's going to be an even there's going to be an even bigger microscope or a bigger magnifying yeah. glass to compare those two QBs. But I also think the first scenario, if you stay at 4 and, you know, it's the fourth quarterback of four taken, that puts a lot of pressure on the guy too because the question's of why didn't you move up? Why didn't you move up to 3? You know, if you think that's the guy, you should move up. And that still would put a lot of pressure on the Colts quarterback. So I find that to be interesting. The other part is, look, man, if it's Levis, either way, if it's Levis at uh, three, they move up. If it's Levis at four, they get him there. Uh, It's funny because, man, a lot of these people – that are anti-Levis right now, they would have amnesia. And also, if Levis goes somewhere else and plays well, these Colts fans will have amnesia of, like, I said they should have drafted Levis! Yeah. yeah, (laughs) You can hardly find people that say, you know, I thought Ryan Leaf was the guy over Peyton Manning. Good luck! It's like finding a (laughs) needle in a haystack, but it would be like that with Levis if he pans out. Yeah. Here's the thing,
3: and this is why I stress caution, right? I, I think that, again, just my take on it, they will regret if they take Levis over Richardson. Just my personal opinion. However, if you're anti-Levis right now, you're not instantly right if Let's say he starts under center week one and he plays poorly. It's this whole grace period, time for development aspect that we've talked about. Like, you're going to have it on Twitter because that's the society we live in. Ah, I was right. See, I tried to tell you, look at week one, Brian. No, you can't have that argument because you need a fair progression. Just like when you're gauging a recruiting class in college athletics, you need a fair amount of progression and a fair timeline to really know what he is unless... You know, if it's week after week after week, yeah. it's clear that, that this, isn't, this isn't for him.
2: Well, I think uh, Kevin Bowen made a great point in between telling me that he would give uh, uh, Jake Query <laughs> a stone cold stunner if he says Brian Noy again. You know, uh, outside of that, yeah, he, he made a great point where he was talking about Brian Noy. Yeah. He was, t- he was talking about um, what would it take for, say, Levis or Richardson to get on the level? of CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, as many perceive it. And one of the major things for Will Levis would be upgrading the talent around him. That's not going to happen immediately right. if he goes to a team picking in the top 5. So yeah, you got to have some patience there. It's not just a talent thing. Sure, some processing, feeling the blitz, all that type of stuff. He's got to do some things on his end, but a lot of his struggles are tied to the lack of talent around him. Now we we smoothly transition to uh, your picks here Jay Cook. Let's <laughs> dive right on in here. The Jay Cook plays of the day.
4: This is me. All right, I'm not a athlete. This is my This is
3: how I win. Today's plays of the day. We're going to take the Tampa Bay Rays, lay one and a half on the run line as they host the Oakland Athletics. Also going to take the New York Yankees. This at 130 juice on the money line over the Baltimore Orioles. Same juice for the Chicago White Sox. They are in Pittsburgh against the Pirates. And to close things out, with a little Detroit Pistons action, going to scoop the seven here in the Tank Fest. Pacers Pistons tonight. I think this is another close, ugly game Pistons cover that plus seven mark five and four, excuse me, two and one yesterday, five and four going into yesterday. So seven and five for the week, as always rolling with these plays here on the fan.
2: I like how you gave us the before yesterday. That was to save. Standing. that was to
3: save my misstep. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for <laughs> taking me behind the curtain. That was to save my misspeak. Well, what about you? Any, any bets you got?
2: Um, uh, you know, I, I was all in on Miami, the Miami Heat, but it looks like they might be resting some guys tonight. So I, I do, I'm do I do a bad job having picks by about three. You know, I yeah. have them by by about tip. Sure. By the way, shout out Eddie Garrison. He was all over the White Sox yesterday, right? Didn't you got no, that one right? Braves. 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 I have but what,
1: now faded Jimmy on two of the. Th- on um, back to back days where his two losses have come.
2: Did yep. you say Giants though what game was the Giants White Sox he had one of the teams to erupt no, and I, I think I, you were right well, weren't
1: you? No, no, no. No, no, no you're wrong. I didn't say it on air. I told you in over a break that uh, oh. to take somebody but, uh, oh, that, it, but did, was, that did not go well.
2: Oh my I I promise you i thought it did work out oh, so no, no. that's that trying to throw you under the bus all right it's gonna do it here jmv top of the hour keep it locked brian no jimmy cook been a lot of fun fun week have a great weekend make everybody. the cut tiger